two grand. All right, I'll call the two grand. I'll gamble. Don't splash the pot. You're on a draw, Mike. Go away. This one is not good for you. And in my club, I will splash the pot whenever the fuck I please. Okay. Sadistic Penguin Studios presents Yumper and Spo at the Show podcast with Tom Yumper Garcia. Have you paid your dues, Jack? Yes, sir. The check is in the mail. And Justin Svoboda. What, so I gotta sit here and eat dessert alone like I'm fucking Steven Glansberg? It's almost time, so grab a drink. Get your popcorn ready and get comfortable to hear two guys from Chicago talking movies. Welcome, everyone, to episode two of season three. I know we've been away for so long. That's mostly my fault because I'm a sick bastard. But we are finally here to shell out this episode and... I'm very excited to be here. My name is Yumper, aka Tom Garcia, and I'm with my co-host, Justin Svoboda. How are you doing, Mr. Svoboda? Yumper, I am fantastic. I am excited to do this episode tonight. I missed your face. <laughs> it's good to be back on screen. It's good to feel better to be able to podcast. <laughs> it's good. It's good that you're better, man. We we missed having you around. Absolutely. Yes, my friend. I know we haven't uh, seen each other, but we've been texting a lot. But man, it just feels good to actually get some content out there that. I can actually talk instead of coughing every five minutes. So, but we got an action-packed show today, Mr. Soboda. Um, we're going to be dealing with two very special guests, the OGs from the 108. And we're going to actually talk to them about their favorite subject involving gambling movies or gambling concept movies. How do you feel about that one? I love it, man. A lot of these movies are in my like list of like my, just my favorite movies. Like not just gambling movies, but some of my favorite movies. Um, so I'm excited to talk about them and they always bring the heat when it comes to content. So I'm excited. For sure. For sure. My man, but uh, we have the brains, into- the brains and the muscle of the 108. Um, we don't have the sexiness cause MSS isn't on here, but we have the brains and the muscle. So he's probably selling something on eBay right now, but, um, <laughs> let's get into what we watched. You want to start us off, Mr. Bubura? Yeah. So, um, I watched this movie with Ray Romano and uh, Laurie Metcalf called uh, Somewhere in Queens. Ray Romano directed it. Um, you know, it's just about a family in Queens and their son is is quiet. He doesn't talk a lot, but he's a great basketball player. And the things that the dad does is a really good dramedy. And Ray Romano's good. I like Ray Romano in movies. You know, he's a big basketball sports guy in the movie and in real life. It's a pretty good flick. Um, I liked it. And the other thing I watched is Other Night. Uh, Friday night when I got home from work and Friday night was the first night of the new iPhone 15 and I had just worked 14 hours and I wanted to put my phone up on the charger and watch a movie with my wife. We rented this movie called Bottoms. Now Elizabeth Banks produced it um, and she did Pitch Perfect and she produced Cocaine Bear. And when I tell you, Yump, this was the weirdest fucking movie I've ever seen. I am not kidding. It is about two lesbian girls in high school in the early nineties that start a fight club to get laid. It is the strangest fucking movie. And it was weird. Uh, the girl that is in, uh, she's the, the sous chef in the bear. Um, she's the main character in it. And it is the strangest, most bizarre movie I've ever seen. It's still in theaters, but it was available to rent on iTunes. And it is, 
just an odd trip, man. Because it's exactly what I said. They start a fight club in high school to get laid. <laughs> that sounds like a uh, very fucking weird story. It's so Are weird. They, it's kind of like a hot rod. You ever see hot rod? Like the whole it's, point it, of him. I yeah. I think that's a great like comparison. Like he wants to become the stunt man to get the girl or whatever. Well, he wants to make enough money to pay for his dad's operation so he can kick his ass in the end. Yeah, <laughs> it's so it's so bizarre. It's yeah, it's it, so random. It's got a really high like Rotten Tomatoes rating, but mm-hmm. it is one of the strangest movies I've ever seen. Sometimes those are like the good movies to watch. I mean, uh, me and Jen watched a movie called Harold with Cuba Gooding Jr. and this kid that looked like he was like 45. It was probably one of the worst movies I've ever seen. But uh, we were dating at the time and she picked it on Netflix. So I was like, okay. But I, and then when we got married, I told her how bad it was. But <laughs> did you also watch the movie Radio with Cuba Gooding Jr.? Yes, man goes by the name Radio. <laughs> I, I felt you know what? I felt so bad watching that movie because he. I think he kind of overplayed Radio there. Oh, he did. Like, and that's the whole that's the whole point of Tropic Thunder, where Tony Stark or um, I'm sorry, Robert Downey Jr. go. You never go full R word. Yeah, right. I'm not yeah. gonna say it, but you never go full R word. Yeah, that's ridiculous. Um, but, uh, I watched, so having COVID and being sick, I actually got to knock out two, um, HBO series. The first one being Carnival, which is actually, uh, created by <clears throat> David Knopf, who, uh, wrote the blacklist. He's a creator of the blacklist. Uh, it mo- the show stars Clancy Brown, who I think is like such an underrated character actor. Um, Michael J. Anderson's also in it. He, he's from Twin Peaks. If you guys remember him, he's a short, um, dwarf actor. Uh, and Nick Stahl, who's from Terminator 3. It was canceled after two seasons and left on a cliffhanger, but it's actually, to me, it was a very interesting show. I really liked the dialogue. It was basically good versus evil, and it's set in a 1930s uh, Depression-era carnival setting where they go from town to town, and there's like a a good and Nick Stahl and an evil in Clancy Brown, and he plays a prequel. Nick Stahl is also in one of my favorite comic book movies, uh, Sin City. Yes, yes, he is. That's another great. And he movie. plays the yellow. Uh, what they just call him, the yellow bastard, right? Yeah, like he's fantastic in that movie. Um, you so you watch a lot of HBO shows, huh? Yes, I. So I've heard of Carnival. I remember seeing the commercials for it uh, back in the day. Just never got around to it. I was a big proponent of Oz. I loved Oz. I actually, own all of them on DVD. Believe it or not, um, I was a big fan of them. The Stet series, even though I got kind of bad towards the end. Of course, we. I love the Sopranos. Uh, yeah. Carnival was always something I want to check out. And since I had nothing better to do but stay in my room, I watched that. And the yeah. other show I checked out was Deadwood. Uh, I'm a sucker for Westerns. You know, I like Unforgiven is my favorite movie of all time. Uh, Deadwood is actually based off real characters that actually were in Deadwood, uh, North Dakota, I believe. Uh, South Dakota, North Deadwood, South Dakota. Ian McShane is a fucking like ruthless asshole, but he shows so much, you know, range with his character. Dude won a Golden Globe for, for his uh, performance. Timothy Oliphant's in it as a main character. And you have Brad Dorff in it, who gives great monologues as a doctor. It shows a lot of stuff from the Old West and how this town got started up at, because it was actually on indigenous territory. So there was no rules, no law, and it was a gold mining town. And it takes a lot of stuff that really happened in real life, like while Bill Hickok was there, Calamity Jane was there, and it shows some of the factual stuff while putting in dramatization around it. And I really enjoyed it. It's another show that got canceled after three seasons, but they actually did the right thing and brought it back for a movie to close it out within the past two years. Now, I haven't had a chance to watch the movie, which I'll get around to, 
but I love the fact that I actually have something to look forward to to have giving you some closure to the series. Yeah, not like uh, when they made the Entourage movie, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I, dude, I remember reading about like when that movie came out. I remember reading about like on message boards how people hated Entourage. Bro, so like we talked, that was our last episode. Was the TV episode, and Entourage is a top five favorite TV show for me. It's one of the broiest things that I like, and I'm not ashamed to admit it. And that movie was just a giant fucking piece of garbage. Like it was, <laughs> it, it was good. like, it was like fucking 2023 White Sox, Chicago Bears garbage. It was brutal. Deadwood should have been in Cox Center. That is so a word Deadwood, that's repeated. My, my old man loves Deadwood and I've never given it a chance. I should, I should look into it. Yeah. So both series are actually slow burns. A lot of like stuff goes around it. Deadwood's a little more slower than Carnival. Uh, because Carnival has kind of like a uh, supernatural element to it. Yeah. Dead, but Deadwood, like just Ian McShane just draws you in because he plays like a ruthless asshole. And Cocksucker is mentioned like in every like fourth line. That's like their uh, their whole like insult Cocksucker. Okay. But, I, but it's very enjoyable. I liked it a lot. Timmy Oliphant, I think, is a great actor as well. Oh, he's, only thing it's, yeah. Only thing weird about him is his like facial expressions. Like, he Did does, you see like, Justified? Did you watch any Justified? Yes. Uh, so Justified was something else I watched before. And that's why I watched Deadwood because I liked them in Justified. Okay. Hmm. Yeah. So definitely if you haven't checked those two, two out, check them out. Um, Carnival, like I said, has got that weird element to it. And Deadwood's, you know, one of those series that really doesn't get talked about enough. That should be now, mentioned more. They're both HBO shows. So like, I, I know you know this, but like when, when I'm at work, like I deal with so many people, like mm-hmm. I, on my lunch hour, I bring my iPad and I watch something so I don't have to talk to anybody for an hour because I got to go back up to the sales floor and, and beyond. But I don't know if I can get away with an HBO show on my lunch not hour these because two. I don't, I don't need titties in the break room. Right. Like I just don't need it. Yeah. Not these two. Like, uh, Ian McShane runs a, uh, whorehouse. So, you know, oh, yeah, no, definitely, definitely. And, not. I can't do Entourage. Of, yeah, I can't but... do Sopranos. Like I got to do like, like chill stuff. Yeah. So. There's there. You can't, Watch them okay. too, but yeah. on your own you can't watch them though. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, but that's what we that's what we watched. Uh, if you want to let us know what you watch, check us out at Yumper and Soul on Twitter and send us your uh, your picture if we're still on Twitter. If it doesn't fucking blow up or something, but until then, check us out until at Yumper then, and Soul. Absolutely. Yeah. So we have two very very special guests. Well, and what better way to introduce these guests than their own little intros? So we have somebody by the name of Tony Soprano to introduce. Our first, first guest. This man is your grandmother's dust trap. Standing six foot plus. Weighing another delicious 200 plus pounds. Mr. Delicious himself. Before. And his other guest, who longed to go along with him, is introduced by Emperor Pop Team. He is one of the original drunk uncles who slaps the bass. He is most likely six barbins in. The magic and George Clooney. Jerry's here. Gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us. <laughs> Fantastic. That was wonderful, I man. <laughs> I love it. Bless your heart for doing that. <laughs> That's yeah. Gotta love AI, right? Yeah, AI, man. <laughs> I gotta do something now, I know different. we're supposed to talk gambling. We're supposed to talk gambling or something, but... Uh, I want to hear more about this Bottoms movie. This sounds, uh, this sounds right. <laughs> yes. So like, so it's, it was, it's in theaters now. And like I said, it is literally 
Uh, Rachel Senna is in it. It's nobody that you know except for the girl from The Bear. Have you got either of you okay. guys watched The Bear? I watched the first I'm season. About, yeah, I'm about halfway through the first season. I'm enjoying. So it she's the, she's the sous chef that like she makes the 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 crazy potato chip uh, omelet in season two. If you if you know what I mean, um, it is the goofiest thing um, I've ever seen. So the, the tagline is. Let me see if I have it for you real quick. Um, to where are you? I got it. Two unpopular queer high school students start a fight club to have sex before graduation. So, like, Whoa. that's exactly what it is. And yeah, <laughs> creativity First, abound. It's like it's like Amer- it's yeah, it's like American Pie met Dave- a David Fincher movie. <laughs> it's got high ratings on IMDb. It's like a seven, so must be doing something right. Yeah, it's and it, it it wasn't bad. It was just the strangest thing that I've ever seen. And now, like, let me like, ask this though, uh, Svo, because how do you get the inputs? Like, how do you know that exists? Like, this is this is what freaks me out sometimes about listening to you guys. Like, what have you been watching lately? And you have watched some bizarre shit. I'm like, how'd you find this? Like, how did you even know this was on the planet? Like, I don't, I'm not aware of uh, many things that you guys talk about. You're watching. How did you figure like, this out? Like. I mean, it's just it's just a matter of like like I, I go to the movies three times a week or like two or three times a week and these trailers pop on and I pay for this monthly subscription thing to AMC where I can see like 12 movies a month for 24 bucks. Oh, so nice. like if I got nothing else to do, right, the wife and I don't have kids. We Like if we got nothing else to do, like, fuck it, we're going to go to the movies. So I see all these trailers and I'm like, let's just go do it. Right. Um, yeah. And we didn't get a chance to go to, to the theater to see it, but I came home from work and I wanted nothing to do with anybody else but to hang out with my wife. So I put my phone upstairs and I bought it. It was like 12 bucks. I own it now. And I, I can't believe I own it. Right? <laughs> he can rewind to his favorite part, Treasy. See, I knew we were getting somewhere with this. I knew we were going like, to go now somewhere. We, now we understand. For anybody, for anybody <laughs> listening to the audio, Beef was doing the scissor motion. And now I'm doing the scissor motion. <laughs> I was. I was. It's, uh, I'm sorry. I apologize for, for changing up the show. I don't mean it. You guys usually do a good job. You're no, fucked no. You got Treasy on here. I love, I love that you asked. And if either of you guys, either of you guys want to watch Watch it. I'll give you my movies anywhere account, and you guys can check it out for yourself. There we go. <laughs> Mercy. They're all watching the same horny movie from the same account. <laughs> I'm pretty sure uh, MSS will be hitting up the DMs later. <laughs> uh, so, gentlemen, I we brought you on. We had you on before into your own separate episodes. Uh, Beef, you were on us when we talked about some mob movies and organized yep. crime movies, and we had Cherise to talk about Star Wars. So. You know, I go to the games a lot with you guys uh, at the Sox games, and you guys are always talking either gambling or um, some form of it, whether it be on your podcast or at the ballpark. And you know, they're degenerates. Let's just call it what it is. They're degenerates. <laughs> well, I mean, that's, yeah. that's that's part of it. I mean, just to give it a little, uh, you know, uh, we'll back it up a little bit. So when we were kids, you know, one of my grandfathers commented, and both of our grandfathers were kind of like this. Commented, you know, you, normally when you kid you your grandkids, you teach them how to pray or whatever, and then we taught us how to play cards. So like when we were kids, we were learning card games, we were learning angles and all this stuff. Fast forward to when we're a little older, we have uh, always kind of had interest in in different gambling games. Uh, we we figured out some ways, uh, particularly with sports betting, where we were making money. We were making probably half our living doing sports betting. Probably this is like 2008 to 2015 ish, right? Somewhere in there, Treasy, where we were doing really yeah. seriously gambling, arbitraging, and all that stuff. But outside of that, yes, we have degenerate tendencies as well, where we're just interested in the concepts of gambling and and, uh, and how it applies to everything else. So we have 
uh, substantial experience doing it for profit. And then we also have like uh, kind of screwing around with gambling stuff. No, I, I, I love it. I love it. I, uh, I bought myself up a tax bracket last year with college football bets. So, uh, it's just, it's go. just one of those things, right? Nice like work. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so beef, you kind of answered, answered one of my questions I was going to ask you about was it something with terms of gambling or even like sports betting, was it something that really got you interested because of the numbers? And you, I mean, you're, you, you know, pulling away the, you know, the charade here, you are an accountant. So did numbers always interest you in the importance of sports betting? Because I know you were talking about formulas and whatnot on your pod. So is that something that kind of yeah. like drew your eye? Well, I guess, I guess analytical pursuits of, of any sort. So like games and stuff are interesting in general. Uh, I'm, I'm more, I'm probably from a gambling standpoint, I was always more interested in poker than I was <laughs> in sports betting. When we got into sports betting, I, I when I started it out, I kind of met the right people who helped me learn a few things that I really needed to learn. And then once we started running it as a business, Teresa and I just found the angles which we were the best at. There were guys who we knew other groups that were handicappers and did those sorts of things. We were straight arbitragers. We didn't handicap a goddamn thing. So a lot of our stuff was relative value. The other thing was like uh, we learned how to, uh, you know, uh, you know, get a lot of bonus money. So like there's ways to, to angle and, and get yourself in there. So yeah. So to answer your question, Yump, yes, it's like an analytical pursuit, but like poker is way more fascinating to me. Like, like lately I've been playing a lot of uh, seven cart stud high, low online and I've been making a little bit of profit. We're talking like, you know, go out to dinner money, not real money, but like, right. and, but the, 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 the way the game works and understanding how to play well and understanding where I make mistakes. Like that's the type of shit I'm really interested in as far as like learning, grasping the concepts. So um, let me ask you this. You guys love Vegas. What, what, where's your favorite casino to play in Vegas? Um, and what's the first stop when you get off the plane in Vegas? So I, I don't know that we, we have necessarily. So, okay, I guess I, I do have a favorite if it's me and beef. If, if okay. me and beef are, are out there by ourselves, we're hitting the plaza downtown. Okay. that's That was our... <laughs> That was our spot for a long time. It was like the first place to start giving us like free rooms and stuff. And we would go out and we would be there like Tuesday through Thursday and just like just nonstop. We we didn't do anything. We didn't go to shows. We didn't go out to fancy dinners. We played at the tables until they gave us free food. And then we ate disgusting buffets <laughs> in downtown Vegas back when it was still very shitty. So you and like free Street. And that was like on Fremont Street. Yeah, that okay. was just that was really like you know just me and Beef getting away from everything and hanging out together. And so like I always enjoyed that. Now I think we you know when we go, we go we take the wives and it's it's much more. Let's hit all these awesome dinners and let's hit these these really great cocktail bars and things like that. But I mean, I still if if I'm gonna if I'm gonna sit with Beef, we're probably playing three card poker. Cause that's just a, a really fun game. If right, there's more, yeah. if there's more guys with us, absolutely a craps table. Cause nothing is as yeah. lively as a craps table. That is, fun. that's where you got to get to. Nice. Nice. Um, so one of the things I wanted to bring up was uh, I watched your Super Bowl pick show on the one Oh eight. And uh, my brother wanted me to mention this to you because it's still like, we still talk about today whenever we talk about sports betting is one of the bets you guys mentioned was Will Andy Reid be smothered in barbecue sauce? <laughs> so, that still cracks me up because it's so randomly out there. Is there a, a bet you guys place a wager on that is so ridiculous? You're like, I can't believe I bet on that. I mean, all of the Super Bowl props are insanity, right? And like, it's weird to 
get scenarios where you have an edge in the Super Bowl props. But so like one, <laughs> this we didn't get a chance to bet on this because things had kind of moved around and like offshore was kind of going away and 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 in inside the United States they don't have some of these bets. So like there was a few years back there was a bet where it was the national. There's always this bet on how long the national anthem song will be. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's the internet, not or like gambling, not catching up with what the rest of the internet is because the person's going to rehearse it the day before someone's going to get video of that and they're going to tweet it. And gamblers are going to see that and go, I know exactly how long this is going to (laughs) take and just hammer a line. And so they had to the, like all of these books just had to like take the the bet down as soon as they just started getting hammered for this. But it's bets like that where it's just like it's just the silliest thing. But people are going to find an edge. The, there's an edge to be found in like everywhere. And that's kind of like that's the thing I like the most about it is just like seeing the world through a lens of I got to find an edge to every single thing that's here. Trizzy, that's some Sam Rothstein. He knew if the other quarterback's girlfriend was on coke shit right there. <laughs> yeah, right? No, yeah, that's, that's absolutely. exactly what that is. Absolutely. I mean, Trizzy, I was thinking about wild stuff. Remember when uh, uh, sportsbook.com, those, those skins back in the day, they had live betting during the NFL draft. And on Twitter, the, the draft picks were coming out a couple picks before. So you oh. could literally bet. It was a small limit, $100. You could bet $100 and know with certainty because Schefter and all these guys told you what the pick is going to be. It's yeah, going to be absolutely. in 10 minutes. Beef, I was, and so for I like, was saving uh, that. I, I was going to say for a half hour, we were smashing like, you know, no doubters. The other one I remember winning money on something weird. We probably won mid five figures on the 2012 election. That's so that's Obama's second uh, election because that was like when uh, I think that was like when Nate Silver kind of got uh, big for a little bit and he was posting all this stuff on 538. But he was also posting the odds for the individual states. And we had a couple sites offshore that were taking the states. And for whatever reason, they weren't moving along with kind of what the, the rest of the world thought in these polls. So we were, we're hitting $500 a poll kind of across all these things and like banging 80% on these things because the books didn't just didn't pay enough attention to offshore books. And then they allowed us to run free. So like stuff like that was always a lot of fun. Treasy. I, I always thought was, it was great. That, that was always the craziest stuff. Like that's it. And the, We'll get back to the the the, uh, the NFL draft one beef later because I, I'll, I'll it'll help explain what's going on in one of the movies. But uh, but yeah, that, that's that one. That one was really great. Um, I'm trying to think if there's any any other really weird ones, but I think the weirdest other stuff was <laughs> we would always bet, and we would. <laughs> this was always a glorious day. Was on July 4th, I'd wake up at about 7 a.m. And I would get full accounts in on the hot dog contest. Like, <laughs> just like, right. just like every dollar that was in there as much as I could to like at, at the smallest bets that they would allow and just like, just hammer through because like they were always way off of what, like what actual actually was going to happen. They're good now. They're very sharp now with the, with those hot dog bets. But back in the day, uh, especially if they had matchups, they had no idea what was going on. Yeah, and that's kind of interesting, like how you say, like back in the day, you had some inside information, whether it be Schefter or them. Like, so I want to know you guys' opinion. Uh, if you guys, I know you guys are not big fans in wrestling, but wrestling is now, you know, being bet on by DraftKings and the other sports books. 
how do you think that's going to work out in the long run? <laughs> so there's a, there was, there's, this is actually, it's always been able to be bet on mm-hmm. offshore. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was a guy, oh man, his name was like blue dolphin 47 or something on, on Reddit. And he claimed to work for WWE and he would just post in the Reddit threads, everyone who was going to win. And for like a good six or seven things in a row, like it was easy money. Like this guy, I don't know how he knew he must have had a friend or something. Um, but then he just kind of like disappeared. And so like either he got fired or someone found out who he was and was like, you better stop doing this. We're going to break your legs. I don't know what happened. But for a while, there was a there was a thread that was just like, here's everything that's going to happen. And like and full I, disclosure, Treasy, the books that we knew that were taking action. They might let so, you bet 25 bucks or something. 20 bucks or, or, or something. Yeah. yeah, it was not. They weren't letting you bet a lot. It was like very low entertainment stakes. So they weren't going to get hurt by it. I don't know what it looks like now. I don't know if anyone's actually taking real action on that sort of thing. But you would think but, information could get leaked and, and things could get uh, out. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a very like the, that is a terrible thing to take bets on. If, if, if to, to answer <laughs> your question, like the like the like this, there is going to be someone who leaks something to someone, someone's going to make a bunch of money off of this and, and they're going to get pissed off about it. But I think what DraftKings might do is, to Beef's point, keep the limits so low that it's not worth any to anybody to like lose their job over. Yeah, I think the uh, what was coming out when I was reading about it was that they're going to tell the two wrestlers when they before they go out who's going to go over. Uh, I don't know how that will work because you still have people in the back that can still send shit out to people, but I think that's, I don't know, it's kind of weird. Like, if I mean, if it was like a... a game of chance where it's actually you know anything can happen in sports but when it comes right. to like stuff like scripted i'm like I, I, I'm not, yeah i'm not oh <laughs> yeah i won't talk about them um but if it's something scripted like i don't know how you i would throw i, I wouldn't trust throwing my money on it because something could just change it that's just my opinion on it right but uh gentlemen thank you so much for answering those questions on gambling i know we're gonna get into more a little bit more when we go through these actual films uh are you guys ready to get started with the first one Let's jump let's in. Do it. Okay, let's get into our first movie. Hey, I'm acting for a group of investors looking for short-term security. Well, you've come to the right place, then. I was thinking of bearer bonds. Well, that's not a bad idea. Bonds are secure. Great way of moving money around fast. Okay, so would you like me to open up an account for you right now? Yeah, uh, 200000 in the name of Roger Oskiner. Okay. Hey. You see those Blue Jays on Monday night? Seven to five? Those guys are hot. Owning Mahoney, released in 2003, directed by Richard Minkowski, who also directed Love and Death on Long Island, starring Philip Seymour Hoffman, Minnie Driver, John Hurt, Maury Jakin, and Ian Tracy. The movie had a budget of $10 million and only made a million dollars at the box office. Uh, So, like I was telling you guys earlier, when we were choosing what movies to pick, this is a movie that I always liked. Uh, I remember first watching it in uh, 2005. One of my best friends in college, who's actually a professional poker player, that's how he made his money on the side, will always pick up these obscure movies. Like when Sideways come out, even though we didn't hear about it, he had it. This is one of the movies he's like, you got to watch this. And then I actually saw it. It's a movie based on a guy with a gambling addiction that embezzles money from a bank in Toronto. And it just shows you, you know, it's kind of a depressing movie in terms of, how Philip Seymour Hoffman plays it. And you kind of you kind of feel for the guy, but you also kind of get pissed. Like, why are you betting? But you see how people go through addiction. And I couldn't see anybody else playing this role because 
Hoffman dealt with his own addiction on the side, you know, in his personal life. And I think he plays the role perfectly. Uh, it's also based off a true story of Brian Maloney, who embezzled $10.2 million from a Canadian bank. And Cherizy, I know you wanted to talk about the real life guy. So uh, let's hear what you have to say about it. Well, the, the real life guys, it's, it's crazy because he did, he did that in like a year. Like that was like $10 million that like from like 81 to 82. And I think about like early eighties, $10 million. That's like $30 million. Now imagine blowing through $30 million in like a year, but imagine being the casino. Cause he was always at Caesars for this, like this, like almost all the money was lost at Caesars. And it's like, imagine being that casino and being like, yeah, this guy works at a, there's like mid, mid-level dude at a bank. Of course he could just wire in a million dollars. Why would, why would we flinch at that? Right. And it's like, you know, it, 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 I remember watching this movie when it came out because it raised all these questions about the casino industry and like, how much of a part do they play in something like this? And they ended up getting sued and then like the, the gaming commission made them, this is like, I've heard of this as a, as a punishment for casinos before. I, this is the only one I know where it actually happened. And like, I, I can reference it, but they made them close for a day. And so they, it was like a, the Saturday after Thanksgiving of one year. And like the, the estimate is to, that you would lose like seven to $800,000 closing for mm-hmm. that one day. And so like, that's a, that's quite an interesting punishment, but also it's like nowhere near what they gained from this whole scenario. Yeah, it's totally crazy how they they you know they lost seven hundred grand. But in the movie, like John Hurt plays the role of the casino um, manager, and he plays it like a complete asshole. And you think you know the more and more you think about the insides and outs of the casino, there are people like that. They're trying to get your money, and then he gets pissed when he goes to Vegas to play his action down there. They wound up play in Atlantic City, uh, and it just shows how they did a background check on him, and they found out he's only making twenty two k at the year you know of the year. <laughs> And he's like, what we don't know won't hurt us, basically. He tells the guy, shut up. The more we, less we know, the better we are off of making money. And just, it's just crazy how he goes with these stacks of chips and plays and just the Huguana heater where he's making three times of what he came in with. And then, you know, even the, the person they had sit with him tells him, you know, take it and go home. No, he's like, no, 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 I'm a heater. And he just loses it all, like, completely. And you just kind of feel bad for him. But you can see how bad the addiction you know, is affecting him in terms of gambling. And shout out to Minnie Driver's character because her ass stood behind him the whole way. And I was just like, I've been like, fuck this guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's there's uh, like okay. crazy scene to, to your point with the with the casino and, and and the way John Hurt plays this. There's a scene in it where he is like on this heater and like one of the guys from the casino comes up to him and is like mad about it. And he says something like, I can't remember exactly what it was, but wait till 4 a.m. Okay, yeah, wait, wait till 4 a.m. And like, and they, they like fast forward to, to that time. And he is just like, everything's gone. Just like, it's, it's all like, he's down to like his last, like little stack of chips. And it's like, man, like, yeah, you can't, the pain in his face too, where he's like rubbing his glass, he's like sweating and shit. Like, Oh, so man. our original plan for this movie was to have our boy Nam surprise us and do a cameo uh, because this guy talks about this movie in such high regard. He loves this movie and he couldn't make it tonight, but he wanted to he wanted me to tell you that um, this is a top three gambling movie for him all time. 
Uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman is absolutely awesome in it, and he wishes that he personally could be the guy that gets to eat all the leftover ribs that got cold because Philip Seymour Hoffman was gambling and couldn't be bothered to go eat the free ribs. <laughs> those were those were words from Nam exactly. Yeah, that part is hilarious. How he uh, they asked the casino manager asked Phil Seymour Hoffman's character, "Hey, uh, what would you like to eat?" And he's like, "Oh, I want some uh, ribs, no sauce, and a coke." And while he's gambling, he tells he's telling the kitchen, "Make him a new plate." We don't want him to stop. We don't want him to stop. So it turns out that after he loses all his money, they had so much fucking ribs, they gave him to the staff. <laughs> so, oh, gosh. <laughs> yeah, that's how he meets a cook in the stairwell because he's stressed out about losing money and they eat ribs together, which I thought was hilarious. But, uh, Beef, I know you haven't seen this one. This is a movie that's kind of hard oh. to find. It's a Canadian film, but uh, there is a link on YouTube. Um, reach out to me. I can send it to you. You guys can check it out for free. Uh, but, like, does this pique your interest at all in it? Yeah, absolutely. I, I love degenerate movies like this. I mean, in a way, it reminds me a little bit of, uh, I mean, <clears throat> the degenerate part of it reminds me of, of High Roller, which is the the movie that's about Stu Unger that Michael Imperioli mm -hmm. is the star of. And we, we didn't pick it on our lineup today. I thought about it, but I, I ended up not using it. Now, that's coming from the, the standpoint of a guy who was a professional gambler who had a lot of leaks or whatever. This is a person who's just like in a normal white collar job. But it's still the same thing where they just can't stop themselves. They keep going and going and going, whether it be, uh, you know, drugs or gambling or whatever. And it, and it just never stops. So, yeah, the, these movies are always interesting in the psychology of uh, of human beings and, and their and their their limits. Yeah. And one aspect of the movie too, beef that about this guy personally was he didn't drink. He didn't do drugs and he didn't like partake in extramarital affairs. He just cared about gambling. That was, and the, even the casino owners were like, what the fuck's going on with him? That's all he cared about was gambling. And you were saying it's probably like, maybe he should have? Maybe he should have, yeah. <laughs> Needed more vices. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> kind of balance them out. out. Black tar heroin, gambling, like womanizing. Like maybe, like, you know, everything's good in moderation. Definitely. So, Swell, what do you think about this movie? I like this movie. I've never, I had never seen it until um, Nam made me, made me watch it, made me look for it. Um, but I, I love anything that Philip Seymour Hoffman does. Like Philip Seymour Hoffman was the best part of so many of my favorite movies, right? Boogie Nights, the 25th hour. Um, and the dude can act. And he was, he was absolutely fantastic. Um, but just like beef, I love movies that tell stories like this. Like, um, you know, there are so many movies that I left off the list, but this is this is an absolutely elite like gambling movie. Yeah, for sure. If you haven't seen it, check it out. It's kind of depressing, but it's very interesting. Hoffman, like he plays the role to perfection, in my opinion. I think most of these movies are kind of depressing because you're you're always chasing that high. Right. And it's it's never like once you get it, it's never quite the same. So I don't know. Maybe that's just me. It could be. Yeah. I mean, for for the most real life ones, they are pretty depressing because usually people walk away with nothing. Yeah. And this guy definitely walked away with shit <laughs> at the end of his uh his tirade. But um, let's get into our next movie. Somebody, will you shut the fat little bastard up? 1983's <laughs> Easy Money, directed by James Signorelli who also directed Elvira, Mistress of the Dark. He did some Rolling Stones uh, videos, most namely uh, Mixed Emotions. And he also is a producer of SNL. Uh, this film stars Rodney Dangerfield, Joe Pesci, Kenny Azara, 
Jennifer Jason Lee and Geraldine Fitzgerald. It had a box office of $29.3 million and an unknown budget. So, Cherizi, this is one of your picks. Tell me why. So, this, to me, this is, well, it's definitely not a depressing film. This is one of, uh, it's a very <laughs> funny movie. It's one of my favorite. It's just one, generally one of my favorite movies. And the the reason that I like this one so much, though, is like, so there is like tons of degenerate gambling and they're showing like some of the things that, that happens that everybody knew about in, in gambling. Like they go to the harness races and the guys like the guys throw in the race and he's like, he's basically skiing because he's got his feet down on the ground, like so that the horse will lose. And it's, it's the horse, horse that they that they all bet on, you know, or like they're going to play craps and like he's he's won all this money and then he like craps out and like loses everything and like. It's he's just like this kind of degenerate, but his wife's family is very wealthy. The 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 his mother-in-law is very wealthy and she passes away and she, in her will, she leaves 10 million dollars to them, but on a set of conditions that have to be met over the course of a year. And so this is really a real life bet, right? Like for him. Like this is just a it, you you have basically a $10 million bet that you can't like, you got to go a year. You can't drink, can't smoke. You can't do drugs. You can't gamble. You can't like be at strip clubs and, and cheating on your wife and all this stuff. He's got to get so, down to a certain weight. Like yeah, he's got to hold a certain weight. Yeah. He's got to be in, in, in like good health. You can't eat like yep. junk food and stuff. And so like, it's, it's one of those things where it's like, as a kid, I watched it and I was like, of course, you would just do this like you would just do this and you'd be fine. Like you'd get $10 million, $30 million nowadays. Right. If you if you if you extrapolate it. But like this is incredibly hard, like what they're asking this dude to go from and, and become. And like I get that the money's huge. Right. But like think about yourself. Right. Being put in a position like this where they're like, yeah, it's like $30 million on the line. You do this. But like. How many of your friends you'd be like, I just can't hang out with that guy. <laughs> just, I just can't be around this dude. I can't I can't go to this. I I, I can't uh, you know, I, I got to get rid of all all the gambling sites that I'm on. I got to I can't go play cards with my buddies. I can't go to the bar like all these things. You just got to like cut out of your life. I know we'd all do it right We're like because it's 30 million dollars, but it's at the same time. It seems really impossible now that I'm an adult. And like, I think that's one of my, my favorite things about it is that like, I watched this as a kid. I thought it was funny. And then I grew up as an adult and like, there's a lot more, a lot more jokes that I get in, in the movie. And I, I kind of understand why Rodney is, 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 or Monty, I should say in the movie is, is, is having such a hard time with this scenario. Yeah. Like what about the, you? Beef? Oh, uh, sorry, go ahead. No, my bad. And Monty's son-in-law is uh, Taylor Negron from uh, yeah. like Biosome. Yeah. Uh, yes, Fast Times at Richmond uh, High. Then. Fast Times at Richmond High. He's yes. just, I love that dude. He is hilarious. And he's extremely great famous. Too. <laughs> extremely famous sample comes out of this movie. The I am so bad. I am so bad I should be in detention. <laughs> yes. That's right. He's outside the window. That's <laughs> yeah, I watched that. Uh, I rewatched it today, and it's kind of funny because we went from a really depressing degenerate to a more comical <laughs> one in Ronnie Dangerfield. And you know, this is like his, this is his first lead role. Like he was in Caddyshack. This is like one of his first big roles. This is Joe Pesci's actually first comedy movie. Uh, okay. 
even though he's not as com- he's hilarious in certain points. I think everything's all Rodney. Like I love anything with Rodney, but I, I just love the fact when they're talking about the the bet, Teresa, and they show like his friends giving their two cents on it, and out of nowhere, fucking Phil Leotardo. <laughs> Frank Vincent goes, you can do it. Yeah, just crack that point. It cracks me up because he's just randomly placed in there. And, you know, as a mob guy, of course, but it's just funny that he happens to be in that little montage. Uh, the movie, I, I, re- I really enjoy it. Uh, it's a movie that doesn't get talked about a lot. You know, Cisco gave it three out of four stars. It's something that you know, people don't really talk about when they talk about Rodney movies. It's usually back to school back or Caddyshack. Yeah. Um, but it's definitely, it's definitely up there. It's a hilarious movie. What about you, Leaf? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, uh, the one main gambling tenet for me in this, and Treasy brought it up, is about environment. You know, sometimes it's tough to do the things you're supposed to do depending on the environment you're in. And, and he brings it up like the whole bat is him ripping apart everything that he normally does. You cannot do any of it anymore. And so maintaining a social life or even being around any of those people is nearly impossible. And it's kind of the you need a good night's sleep for the next day so that you can do well at work idea but extrapolated across every hour of, of your life. You can no longer kind of be in those situations in order to, uh, for you to, uh, you know, to complete the bet, to win the bet. Uh, the second thing I wanted to bring up, and I, you know, I'm going to get in trouble right out of the gate, but uh, the, uh, the cameo from uh, Kimberly MacArthur and uh, Treasy, I don't know if you know who that is, but I, I'll just That's tell the you. neighbor? Not worth five million, not worth 10, uh, five million, 10 million maybe. So, uh, you know, just saying. <laughs> Yeah, that that scene forever has shaped me. I ask, I want to ask you, Treasy, uh, best titties in a movie ever that you've ever seen. Is that is that it's, up there? Top five at least. Oh, it's gotta be. It's gotta be up there. And it's it also it, it 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 falls into the next scene when he's talking to his neighbor, which is my favorite line in the whole movie. When he's talking to like he's talking to his neighbor, he tells him, "I saw more than." When he's like, "Oh, you met my better half," he's like, "I saw more than half." But they, then they're they're talking, and he's asking him about. He's like, he's like, hey, maybe you need a little tutsarutsky, maybe a little a little smoke, you know. And he goes, hey man, you're talking to me about drugs. My kid's right here. And the guy dead looks him right in the eye and goes, hey, if you got a connection in the family, stick with it. It's just the best <laughs> delivered line, and it's so quick, and it's just like I'm just like cracking up because the kid is like 12 years old. <laughs> I, uh, I'm a little disappointed. Thank, thanks a lot, Beef. Uh, that was our next episode, Top 10 Titties in a Movie. So... <laughs> Well, there you go. I spotted you one. There you go. You get to check, that, check that out if you haven't seen that yet. I don't, yum, could we get away with that? No. Uh, <laughs> where, like beef. Where like so that and Phoebe Cates. Where where are you where are you ranking them? I, I would put uh, Kimberly MacArthur over because the Phoebe Cates thing was a more like you're yearning for this character the entire time. You're hoping that the Kimberly MacArthur one was one. You're shocked. Two, they are a gigantic set of tits that you're not expecting to see in a movie. Like, that's not, you don't see that in a movie. Like, it was like, what the hell is that? You know, it's like, he just walks into the yard and he looks and he's like, and she's like, hey, how you doing? <laughs> it's all part of the setup, but still, it's it's uh, tremendous. It's just totally random. Like, I remember when I first watching, I'm like, what the fuck? And then he, yeah, his, his, and Rodney's known for his, like, one-liners. His delivery is so great. And, the, you know, his yeah. facial expressions. Yeah, totally a hilarious uh, moment in the movie. Um, but definitely, I thought it was pretty crazy that they actually wanted uh, Bill Murray to play the role of um, Patty. He dropped out, and Tom Noonan actually took that role. Uh, Tom Noonan, who you got remembers from RoboCop 2. That's the only thing I ever remember him from as the bad guy in RoboCop 2. But I, I can't see Bill Murray playing a small role like that. I think yeah, it's no. perfectly good cast the way right. it is done. Uh, and this movie was so popular, it actually knocked out Chris. Uh, uh, Vegas vacation, not Vegas vacation. Um, 
The first movie. It knocked it out of uh, being oh, in the top rank. Just vacation? Like regular yeah, vacation? Yeah, yeah. It was number one for four weeks, and this movie knocked it out. So for, Rightfully so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. But, you know, it's a movie that, like, if you haven't seen it, check it out. I, I think it's free on Prime with ads, but it's definitely worth, like, the, the juice is worth the squeeze, they say. Oh, yeah. If, if you've never seen this movie, you absolutely need to watch it. And we didn't even tell you how it ends. So, like, the, the, the whole ending will still be, like, brand new to you. So, like, definitely go check. It is such a weird-ass <laughs> ending. I love it. Yeah, it's so random. But, yeah, definitely check this one out. But uh, let's get into our next one. Eddie, what are you going to do when I kick your ass? Pick myself up and let you kick me again. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Just don't put the money in the bank, kid. Because if I don't whip you now, I'm going to whip you next month in Dallas. You're in Houston. There's nothing coming up in Dallas. Houston, Dallas. And if not then, then the month after that in New Orleans. Oh, yeah? What makes you so sure? Hey, I'm back. 1986, The Color of Money, directed by Martin Scorsese, who also directed Goodfellas, Casino, The Departed, and Last Temptation of Christ. This movie stars Paul Newman, Tom Cruise, and Mary Elizabeth Mastriannoni. It has a budget of $14.5 million and made $52.3 million at the box office. So, Swole, this is one of your picks. Let's know why. I mean, first of all, the movie takes place in Chicago in the wintertime, or it starts off there at least, right? And he hits the road. It's a Scorsese movie with a fantastic soundtrack. And it is fucking peak Tom Cruise, right? Like, right as his career was, like, taken off, he's this young, arrogant, cocky, pool player. Paul Newman's fantastic in it. It's basically a sequel to uh, The Hustler, right? Um and it's Scorsese. It's it's just a really, really fun, great movie. And I absolutely love it. Definitely. Uh, beef? Yeah. Uh, one, of the, one of the things you learn in this movie, particularly about gambling, and it applies to poker, it applies to, uh, uh, you know, pool, is making the matchup for yourself. Getting yourself into a good situation to gamble. And, and like much like young poker players, he does a bad job of this kind of at the beginning of it talking himself out of matches that would have been very profitable for him and not kind of understanding the soft skills that are involved in gambling. Yes. You, you need to develop the skill of like actually winning at the game, but the game beyond the game is getting people who want to gamble with you and, and you, you be a sport and someone that they want to uh, be around and gamble with and give you a chance to win a lot more money. And it's real it's important to learn in this and poker and lots of other things. I know Treasy mentioned, well, we'll probably talk about it later, but it's, it's, it's acutely mentioned in, in making, uh, you know, billiards pool, pool matches because it's a one-on-one situation. Right. Like you can't just beat the shit out of everybody every time you play them. Cause no one's going to want to play with you. Correct. Well, and and <laughs> Tom Cruise, Tom Cruise sucked at it at the beginning of this movie. It's, it's been a while since I, I saw it, but I do, I, I, in my memory, and I'm hopefully I'm not confusing it with the hustler, but I, I I think there's a scene where he is beating the shit out of like the best player in the whole place. Well, there's another dude that they were there to like juice all the money out of, right? And he's just like he beats that guy, and then that, the other guy doesn't want to play. And right. it's like that's the kind of thing that's like you you don't you don't walk into a poker room when you know Michael Jordan's going to be there and start beating off all the 
beating up all like the best uh, players in the the room, right? You wait to get to Michael Jordan's table, and then you go like, ah, yeah, okay, now I'm gonna play for real because right, uh, <laughs> you're gonna steal MJ's money. We're playing for real stakes here now. Yeah, yeah the, that guy get, made thirty million dollars a year in the in like the eighties. So like, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's a <laughs> this guy's got money. I think also like it's it, it's an, another type of movie that I love and Yumper and I have talked about this, but I love like a good road trip movie and they're going across country and playing in different pool halls. Right. And it's it's cool. It it ages itself a little bit, like kind of like how we talked about Scarface with like some of the soundtrack stuff and some of the cars that they drive. But it doesn't age itself where you don't appreciate it. Yeah, I think it. Uh, well, one of the cool parts I really like is any movie involves Chicago. I, I love like just to look at it, see how they portray the city uh this movie actually re- rejuvenated paul newman's career he was kind of on the decline which is kind of crazy because um he, you know he has such a historic career and this movie rejuvenated him he got a best oscar award for this and it's a sequel to you says the hustler uh one thing i was reading about this was they tried to get jackie gleason to come back and play minnesota fats oh he was really, man he's great in the original yeah, yeah so he was originally in the script uh when they changed when scorsese's decided to you know change his role he didn't really like, he felt his character wasn't needed. Like he felt the, cause they're, they're, they're going to build a story around him and Eddie again with Tom Cruise, like being his protege. Well, when they rearranged the story, Lisa was like, you know, my character doesn't seem like right for this. So I'm going to decline. And he kind of declined off it, but it would have been kind of nice to see them two again together. Cause we know Gleason eventually passed away not too long after this. And it'd be kind of cool to see uh, them actually, you know, reunite for a role in the sequel. Um, another crazy thing I found about this Shrizi is our man Iggy Pops actually in this movie. <laughs> He's actually as one of the bystanders in one of the uh, scenes with a with a white shirt on. Uh, I didn't notice him. I actually had to look and see, but he's actually in there in like a couple of clips. They have like Forrest Whitaker in this movie. Um, Martin Scorsese actually is the person that breaks the ball, the, does the break at the end of the movie. So he's his hands. His hands are actually the ones that are racking the balls, and then the, he breaks breaks them. Um, Tom Cruise did most of his trick shots except uh, one, which is pretty crazy uh, considering, you know, it's not easy to do those things. And right. I just, I, I overly like the movie because like you said, guys mentioned how you're playing the mark. You're, this movie's all about yeah. hustling. You can't right. out, outshine them if you're going to try and make money. You're never going to make money that that's way. Right. And that's yeah. what Paul Newman's trying to do. And Tom Cruise's character is so egotistical. He's such an asshole. Dude he wears really his fucking is. name on his shirt, Vince. Vince, the whole movie just his first name it's hilarious and eventually you know the student becomes a teacher and it kind of gets eddie back into the game and i thought it was very well done uh it just surprised me that you know ebert didn't like this movie where does this like, rank where does this rank on your list and like of scorsese movies like non-mobster movies probably, i mean it's not uh i'll probably top 10 i wouldn't put in the top five but okay top 10 what about you guys? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I, I was gonna say I don't, I don't know if I I don't know if I pay enough attention to Scorsese movies that aren't mob movies mm-hmm. since I'm so engrossed in them. But yeah, but this is a great movie, and I, and and uh, the the approach of like bringing along like the the protege angle there, especially in, in uh, high stakes gambling, is always interesting to me. The fact that someone would be even willing to to uh, be the mentor in those situations because a lot of those secrets are things that people don't want passed down. They don't want to give away for for free. So it is always interesting story. Well, and then the age like the, it's the age old story too, right? Like like Paul Newman knew that the way to get to this guy was through his girlfriend, right? And he did that and you know, he Tom Cruise put the pussy on a pedestal. <laughs> <laughs> 
totally <laughs> <Yes>, did. did. <laughs> and Jack brings up a good point. Uh, John Totoro's in it. He's actually the one of the guys he just beats the shit out of. Yeah. And, and then goats him to come back and play. Like, it, it, I think it's really done really well. It, it kind of shows that, you know, the kind of like the inside of how a hustler thinks. And one of my favorite parts is actually when Vince breaks, when to, Eddie's sitting at the bar talking to his girl and he hears the break and he just turns because it's like, that itch just needs to be scratched. He heard something, he, you know, reminded him of something in the past. And yeah. sometimes people fall into their old habits and that's what he basically did. But it's definitely a great movie. And it's only the only movie that Scorsese ever had may come under budget. So that's why I think <laughs> it sounds like a miracle. <laughs> yeah. So that was one of his triumphs of this movie. But yeah, if you haven't seen this one, check it out. It's a little dated, but it's, it's still worth it. But let's get into our next one, gentlemen. So... Time to set the hook and dicks down. Do it just like I told you. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly like I told you. Okay. Then the party's on me when it's over. Hey, man. Okay. When it's over, we'll all be lucky to get away before they kill us. You know the difference between a hustler and a good con man? What? Hustler has to get out of town as quick as he can. But a good con man, he doesn't have to leave. 1992's Digstown, directed by Michael Ritchie, who also directed movies such as The Golden Child, Cool Runnings, The Scout, Fletch, Wildcats, Drive Madness, and Bad News Bears. It's also written by Steve McRae, who wrote Hard to Kill, one of Soul's favorite movies, and Dark Man 2. It stars James Woods, Louis Gossett Jr., Bruce Stern, Heather Graham, and Oliver Platt. The movie only made $4.8 million, which is surprising, on a $17 million budget. Beef, I know this is one of your picks, so tell us why you picked it. <laughs> yeah, I would consider it probably my number one gambling movie because it sets up uh, the big con, a, a big gamble, a big bet, all, all kind of across the board, and teaches a lot of different uh, uh, lessons as far as gambling goes. But James Wood's character, Gabriel Kane, is like the perfect uh, con man in this situation because he's well dressed. He's loved by a bunch of people and hated by a bunch of people. He's he's got that where he's got the the love hate situation across him where you want to beat him and and that's where he gets in against uh against Bruce Dern's character uh John Guion who who actually owned the en- entire uh town of Digstown and and what it was was fixing a fight. Now Guion actually won the town fixing a fight of a local legend who he was the the manager of many many years before. Uh, Gabriel Kane learned this information and then built an entire uh, con around this stuff. Uh, the 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 one of the key tenants here is counterparty risk. Can't when you're going to make a big bet, can the other person actually afford to pay, and will they actually pay you? And so that's why in some parts of this movie, you see Heather Graham's character helping these guys search around to make sure that they understand his financial depth, so that they could get their hands on absolutely everything that he had, and they knew that Digstown was the type of town where gambling was extremely important and word was word. So they knew that they could actually win a substantial bet from this group. And also knew that like in these situations, like you see Oliver Platt working all the side action during it. So it's not just a big bet. They're also making lots of small bets with the entire crowd, the entire group of people that live in Digstown and have them uh, absorbing some of the costs of the con as well. Not understanding that uh, the guy they brought in to fight uh, Louis Gossett Jr.'s character is a former professional, someone who does cash fighting kind of on the regular and is likely going to, uh, you know, win all these matches against it. You also need to find someone who has a big enough ego, even when they know 
an impossible bet is coming that they're going to be willing to take it. I mean, this is like a Amarillo slim style bet where it sounds unbelievable, you know, like hitting a golf ball a mile. And then he turns around and hits the ball on the concrete and it skids for a mile because a a golf ball will never stop on concrete. Those are the kind of weird things that, you know, Amarillo slim would win in prop bets. This is what Gabriel Kane's presenting here in this Digstown bet. The, uh, you know, win 10 matches in 24 hours situation. But they kind of had all their angles figured out here. And so for me, this movie, just like great theatrics, uh, great actors uh, top to bottom. And, and I love that it bombed because then it's the cult classic that I really believe it is. And so when I think gambling, this is the movie I immediately think of. And if it's on, I stop and watch it every single time. So I just saw this movie for the first time because you recommended it and it was it was on the list. Um, and there's there's a couple things that that stand out. One, Bruce Dern is just a dirt ball, right? Like he's a scumbag. <laughs> Perfect and villain, he, right? Right. Perfect absolutely. Villain. And when he when he meets James Wood in the in the in the ringside, sitting ringside, he's like, "That's my seat," right? You know he's going to be a scumbag. The second <laughs> the second scene is is apropos because we have the dudes from the 108 on this show, and Oliver Oliver Platt, who I fucking love. Uh, he's the, you know, he's the, the guy that's trying to set up this bet and James Woods gives him this stuff where he could drink a crap ton of beer and not get drunk. And James Wood looks at, at, at the next morning. He's like, Hey, look, I said he wouldn't get drunk. I didn't say he wouldn't have a hangover. And it was fucking <laughs> hilarious. I thought this movie was really, really good. I am so surprised I had never seen it before. And just thank you for recommending it. <laughs> because I fucking yeah. well, love I, I love Oliver Platt. Oliver I've Platt, always Oliver loved Platt's Oliver Platt. Well, he's yeah. amazing in that scene too that you mentioned, Svoboda, well, because they're in the hotel room. He's hungover. He's barfing and everything. And that's when he realizes that Gabriel has not gone to the fighter and told him right. about the con yet. So there's still a chance. Yeah, yeah. He doesn't, know, he doesn't know. So like, they're, they're like that's how good of a confidence man uh, Gabriel Kane is. James Wood's character is that he didn't even tell the other guy yet that's going to be involved in this. He just knows that he could con this guy into doing it. And of course he does. And Bruce Dern just has this Southern dirt ball charisma in this movie. That is just absolutely perfect. Like he smiles and it's almost like, it's almost like in the fucking the Grinch where his smile just doesn't stop. It just goes up and up and up and he's got the Southern draw and it's just really good. What about you, Treasy? Oh man, I love this movie. And I, I love that we segued from color of money into this because it is the pool hustle right up front. Um, but I just know that beef has this on here just because of Heather Graham. That's that's it. <laughs> it was just in- I mean, that's a young Heather Graham. She's so hot. And it's, it's it was so funny because it's one of the rare situations intro. where, <laughs> where <laughs> my wife is like, my wife doesn't give me shit ever about like checking out, but she does not think Heather Graham's attractive. So she Speak always does, gives me shit about Heather Graham. See, the devil. <laughs> She loves the movie too, but she thinks Heather Graham's a dog face. She, we got, we got, we're different uh, polar opposites on Heather Graham there. But Mrs. Heather Graham is good in this too, because Heather Graham's got to play kind of both sides of this, right? She's she's on the the, the mark side uh, effectively, but it was her brother who fed the information uh, to Gabriel Kane, who later ended up getting killed, and then he he ends up because he got the information by mistake. He was someone that they didn't ever want to have this information and they knew they needed to eliminate, but the fact that he was able to pass it on to James Wood's character, that's why she was able to help the group and, and, you know, wanted to help the group and get them to get this uh, bet done. I mean, there's nothing better than the the little tie thing at the end. I'm, I'm all in for that. Like, it's just such a, like, it's what you were talking about it. Like where they really set it up for Bruce Stern to be the villain. 
And then that little tie thing at the end, just shove it right up his ass is just the, <laughs> the best thing ever. Great, yeah. great underrated movie. Like it's so early nineties. It's ridiculous. Like I even used a, I even used the, the graphic for anybody that's like listening to the audio version of it. The graphic is the movie poster and it says available on video cassette and laser disc. Right. <laughs> so like, it's just that early nineties perfection. So this is one of the movies that I like, we always ask people like what would they watch from the, on a rainy day besides fifth element. This is another movie I watch because I love the whole concept of playing the big con. I think James Woods is phenomenal in this movie. Uh, another thing that always stuck out to me as a kid, I always thought Bruce Stern's character was Ted Turner. I have no, <laughs> <laughs> it might be. You yeah, mean like a, a, a take on Ted Turner? Like kind of like, oh, yeah. this is like a Southern bad guy kind of thing. Like, oh, yeah, interesting. And he kind of yeah. looks like him too. So I was like, yeah, yes. I, I always thought, is that who they're trying to be is Ted Turner. Oliver Platt is great, well, you know, as his uh, his buddy that's setting up. The, I love the scene when they play pool and he beats uh, Brewster and son for his his ride. Who's the and kid that, in Honey, I Shrunk the Kids? Yes, yes. <laughs> the, he's the older brother in Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. And then you got Jesus Christ, who's his best friend. Who says some uh, racial things in the movie, and then he goes? Oh, you mean the, you mean the guy that saved that saved all the sex traffickers, Jim yeah, Caviezel? Okay. <laughs> yeah, it, it's just you know, it's it has so many great. I love the fact how they they go through the kind of how they're fixing fights, and you know, fixing fights has been something like in the history of time. You know, uh, it goes way back to you know the twenties, thirties, and even you know Ali say say Ali Liston fight was fixed. You know, there's the, the Holyfield Lewis fight was uh that ended the draw. They said was fixed. This, you know, it's something that's always been part of boxing history. And then hear them go through, oh, we're going to give this guy something that makes him shit his pants. Or we're going to have this guy hook up with a girl that's going to wear him out. They, yeah. Thank you for bringing up the brown bottle. <laughs> brown All right. bottle I, was, I was worried we weren't going to talk about it. <laughs> Beautiful. Yeah, it's just greatly, it's perfectly done. And like how, and then, you know, one of the lines that I always thought was hilarious is when he gets told by, um, but the guy from New York on the cover, Michael Lorenzo, he gets beat up by them to kind of remind them, hey, keep your eye on the ball. And he's like, I hate being hanged. I just hate it. And I'm like, who the fuck likes being hanged? Like, <laughs> like why would you say that? But it's just parts like lines like that. And beef, I almost used the uh, for the opening clip was when he gives an inspirational speech to Louis Gossett Jr. to Roy and tells him he's stronger than you. He's better than you. Remember, you're black. He's like, what? <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> He's like, I don't know, man. I'm trying to motivate you. It's like a risk thing. He's like, what? He's like, you're a shit with no motivation. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's just like has great comedic timing. And I always liked this movie because of that. Uh, you know, and also Benny the Jet is the fucking uh, referee, which is kind of out of nowhere because that guy's like a badass in martial arts. And he's just a rambling the referee in the movie, which I was like, what the fuck? But, you know, the movie's just very enjoyable. I'm so, I'm so happy you finally got to see it because I really yeah. like this one. I, I had never seen it before this week. And beef, uh, James Woods and Heather Graham actually dated during this time. So that's why. Uh, Whoa, that's I did not know that. That's, that's, that makes that's me upset. For, for James Wood. Hey, Yump, I got a question. I got a question for you, Yump, because, you know, like, you know, we have the list like a week in advance. Mm -hmm. um, and I know Brian's in the audience right now, and I know he hates it when I bring it up. But how come you didn't put on the 1992 classic Gladiator with James Marshall and Cuba Gooding Jr.? I was thinking um, about that. <laughs> I really was. Thinking about putting it on there. Oh, look at that. Look at that. Second best boxing movie after Gladiator. That's the that's the best that's the best movie named Gladiator, by the way. That's you're not wrong. Yeah, that's you're right. not wrong. <laughs> by far the best. And it's crazy that you bring that up because 
1992 was a big year for sports movies. You had Gladiator, which we just talked about, The Babe, White Men Can't Jump. You had A League of Their Own, The Mighty Ducks, Mr. Baseball with Tom Selleck, A River Runs Through It, Wind, and The Cutting Edge that were all released this year. So it was a big year for wow. sports movies. You know what's crazy? I love all those movies. I do too. And I just think this movie kind of got lost in the shuffle yeah. in terms of like sports, but it's so much more in it. And that's why I like it so much. And like you said, beef, it's got that cult status now. And if you haven't checked this one, definitely check this one out. Cause it's totally worth your time, man. I would definitely go to a drive-in to watch Digstown and gladiator back to back. That would <laughs> be, no <laughs> that would be the best night. The best Definitely. night ever would be if it was a triple feature with the other classic, Judgment Night, with Emilio Estevez. <laughs> oh, man. Well, we'll just listen to the soundtrack <laughs> on the way there. That's the favorite soundtrack, too, uh, Tracy. But speaking of Gladiator, like, randomly, if I'm at work, you know, I, if I'm working from home and I'm coding, I have, like, a movie on. It's usually Gladiator, and I'll send it a picture to Beef, and I'm like, I'm watching this right now. And he just always yeah. pops. <laughs> It's a classic Bridgeport movie, my friend. Hell yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I, that's another part, too, of the movie. I told you, Beef. Like, I find it hilarious. He's like, where are you from? And he's like, Bridgeport. And the guy's like, what? Bridgeport? Like, what? like it's Slipboard North or some shit. It's still right. Southside. Like, what the fuck are you talking <laughs> it's, about? It's right there. <laughs> yeah, but it's definitely that. So Jack tells it, like, it's just a product of poor advertising. Also that, and it was, you know, there was it kind of swallowed up in all the other movies that were made. But if you haven't seen it, check out Town. But let's get into our next one, gentlemen. What's your problem? I'm putting half a million dollars on Lucky down to win third race at Riverside. Can't lay that off in time. Bet like that could break us. Not only are you a cheat, you're a gutless cheat as well. 1973's The Sting, directed by George Roy Hill, who also directed Slapshot, Butch Cassie and the Sundance Kid and Slaughterhouse Five. The movie stars Robert Redford, Paul Newman, Robert Shaw, and Aline Brennan. It had a budget of five and a half million and made a whopping $159.6 million. This is 1973, just crazy. Uh, Cherizi, this is your pick. Tell us why. Yeah, this is actually just one of my favorite movies of all time. Uh, I, I love every, I mean, Newman and Redford are just fantastic actors, right? And like, so they're they're back and forth in this, and and everything they do in this movie is is great. But the story is just so compelling, right? Like because you start off with the the small timers that that hit the wrong guy, and one guy ends up getting killed, and that was like Redford's uh, mentor, and it kind of sends him off into this direction to go find a a, a new mentor that he was the the other guy go find. And they decide to basically out of revenge to pull off this massive con against the worst guy. Right. Like, so it's, it's just like such an impossible task that they're taking on. They've got the cops chasing them the whole time. They've got cops that aren't cops chasing them at parts. You've got a guy chasing him. Who's actually protecting him. Like there's just like, everything is like, it's not what it seems the entire movie through. And the gambling aspects of it are incredible, uh, especially like as as uh, me and Beef got older and started and uh, doing some of these, you know, getting into some of these things. The the main con here is on something called the wire and the wires. Uh, the, the basis of it is past posting. So if you don't know what past posting is, it's exactly what me and Beef were talking about with the with the draft thing, like where Adam Schefter's already gotten the information. He knows what 
the draft pick is going to be. He sends that out and then the betters gamble on it. This was a dude at the Western Union getting who was who's winning these races. And before he passes it off to the bookies, he's hanging off to to this other guy to say, go bet this before they get it. And it's just such a it's just such a great like gambling movie all around the 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 poker game where it's like the where, where he's like, what am I supposed to say? He cheated better than I did. Like, I just like it all just works. And and Newman is incredible in this movie. Just absolutely incredible. All the way down to the, the last minute of the movie where you're sure something has just happened and the exact opposite has has happened. It's just I, I can't say enough good things about this. As you could see by how worked up I am, this is just like to me, just like almost a perfect movie. Definitely uh beef. Yeah, uh Treasy mentioning the the uh the card game. It's like and also this movie brings up to like knowing who to trust. It's not only finding yourself a good gamble, finding yourself a good spot, but who's gonna backstab you? Who's gonna give you information? Who's gonna who's gonna withhold things from you? Who might try to undercut you in, in situations like that? And so sometimes in these spots, you might you might think you got something good, but you always gotta protect yourself and, and protect all angles. Also, uh Treasy mentioned the past posting and kind of the information. It's the exact same concept as in trading places. When they're trying to buy the crop report off of Clarence Speaks, it's the exact same shit, basically. So now in that one, it got intercepted. They found out that it was happening. They got a bogus report and they end up losing their ass. And something like that can obviously happen in a situation where you think you're getting uh, single-ended information and, and someone else intercepts it or blocks it or gives you something uh, incorrect on purpose. Yeah, as Treasy mentioned, an all-time great movie, uh, an old Chicago movie also, which is, uh, yeah, just uh, a lot of fun. And one I probably should rewatch again. I, it's been a few years since I've seen it, but it's always worth a rewatch. Definitely. Swell? So it's a movie that I've only seen once or twice. I'm self-admittedly not the biggest Robert Redford fan. Like, I don't hate Robert Redford. Like, I don't hate him. It's not that at all. But I'm also not like, oh, Robert Redford's in this. I got to go see it. I like The Natural. I know that's a, a hot topic. Uh, amongst our group chat um but it, it's it's a great movie it's it's very highly rated as one of the all-time all-time greats um it is a fun watch now you, you brought up something there that i want to just touch on a little bit you talked about trading places and the clarence beaks and and what you just talked about would you consider trading places wall street um would you consider those gambling movies yeah right because they kind sure. of are yeah they are yeah well it's Yes. <laughs> the stock market is gambling. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely, it is. In fact, it's more. <laughs> but it's not like might it's, be it's, more. It's, might be more gambling than uh, what what people consider gambling. Right, right. <laughs> and the, and the reason that I ask is because you don't necessarily consider those things like oh, it's not you know it's not a game. It's like someone's profession. But you're gambling, yeah. right? Like every day, yeah. it's a risk what you're doing when you're trading. So like if, With, if without a doubt, there is way more bullshit going on in corporate America than there is in the NFL game that you're watching tonight that you get bet on. Without a doubt. And you know nothing about the shit that's going on. And, 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 and you, know, but you, you know a lot about the NFL. You know? Not to mention that's all fixed. That's a, that's a fixed game. <laughs> that is fixed. That is a fixed game. So you could say the NFL's fixed all you want. Corporate America is a fixed fucking game. As people working in it, yes, it is. <laughs> That's fantastic. That's fantastic. So if you like if we had gone back and we had included like that in there, would you put Wall Street or would you put trading places in your list of gambling movies? 
Uh, I, I like the, the ones that I picked, but yeah, I love Wall Street. I mean, just as it's one of my favorite movies, uh, uh, without a doubt to begin with. And so it definitely applies to the group right here. In fact, it's funny. I put the, uh, when we, uh, Treasy, when we booked Jeff Passan for the one-way podcast, but we couldn't say we had him on there yet. I put the, uh, I bagged the elephant video out just with no oh. disclaimer on my account. Just like the like signal. We did some shit and you guys are going to see it soon. And so like, yeah, it's something that I go back to wall street all the time. One of my favorite movies. So follow-up question. How much cocaine did Oliver Stone do while he made Wall Street? <laughs> we almost ran out. I'm not, I'm not gonna get I'm not gonna get him tweeting at me, right? Like, hey, until you've walked a mile in someone else's shoes, don't judge what others have done. I did then. <laughs> no, uh what you guys said about the movie, I can't I can just elaborate a little more on it like totally agree with you this movie i really like the fact that it actually shows like it goes to a screen to show you the certain like events that are transpiring of the big con uh it's something i really like i love this color scheme this movie like i love the fact it's based in the 30s depression era i love the color schemes the costumes i'm just a sucker like a film nerd like that way but i love the way it's done it, you know it made so much money back then and to me when i think of gambling movies or even the heist movies this is one of the movies that comes straight to my mind because it's a movie that is so perfectly done to show you everything that it's kind of like if people pay homage to it. And even in Ocean's Eleven, Treasy, how they gives a little slip ending at the end. Like everybody knows what's going to happen at the end. Ocean's Eleven kind of does that. You know, the yeah. third one, it has like a little twist to it. Like the cons know what's going on, how to play the game the correct way. And everybody, I love the fact that he goes, um, they go, Kid Twist goes out and gets the 20 best con men to work in their you know, and their racetrack. I love the fact that he's doing that. I love the fact that it points out how cops can be fucking manipulated. Uh, Robert Shaw, I love him. Yeah? And he's not, yeah. <laughs> I mean, not anymore. Don't worry. Don't worry. <laughs> it's just a movie. Don't worry about it. Um, Robert Shaw, when he's not killing sharks or getting eaten by sharks, is great. He's a, a complete asshole. Yeah. You know, it has another connection to uh, Fast Time at Richmond High with J.J. Uh, Singleton, played by Roy Walton, who's Mr. Hand. Which I think is great. Oh, he's and awesome thought, in that. Yeah, yeah. I brought this up to you uh, off air before we got on. This movie also has uh, Joe Tatori, who's actually the guy with the black gloves. He's uh, as an assassin. He's actually a stunt man for Big Trouble in Little China, oh, which I think is amazing. Great. And there's a Star Wars connection here as well, Teresa. You know how? How's that? Robert Earl Jones, who plays Luther Coleman. Is James Earl Jones's father? I did not know that. I did not know that. That's amazing. That's yeah. uh He's a uh, perfect. Choice. He's awesome in that movie. In the movie too, and like he's the whole. He's like the impetus for the whole the whole thing going down, right? Like he, they run that con, steal the money from a guy who's just running, basically running numbers. Um, turns out to be one of Lonigan's guys. They kill Luther, and then it's it's it is similar to. Uh, is that Ocean, Ocean's Thirteen, right? Where they're they're like it's it's there's emotion in this con for for Luther, just like in in Ocean's Thirteen, where they're like trying to not become overly emotional about the con that they're running and getting in too far. So it's a there's a good parallel there as well. But uh, yeah, I mean, like just fantastic stuff. Yeah, just great stuff. And it's kind of crazy because Redford actually didn't want to do this movie. His agent was telling him, don't do comedies, don't do comedies. And then he's like, well, why? You know, I'm, I'm Robert Redford. I can do whatever the fuck I want. I'm going to do a comedy. <laughs> and when he when he turned down the role initially, 
they offered it to Jack Nicholson, who read it and was like, ah, ah, he turned it down, and Refford took it. And this is Refford's only Oscar-nominated role, which I think is pretty crazy, considering the longevity of his career that he's had. This movie won seven Oscars. It made a whopping shitload of money at the time. And it's definitely something you guys should check out if you haven't seen it. I just, it's a little long, but it's played out beautifully the way... And they explain everything to you, kind of how everything goes, which I you, think is awesome. You definitely get kind of what... what what they're doing, uh, you know, throughout it. Like it's, I think that could be complicated when you're doing kind of these, these complicated grifts or, or, or gambling things where it's, it's tough to explain. Like this is exactly what's happening. They do a really good job of kind of playing it out. So you understand what's going on and why, why they're doing it. Yeah, definitely. And another, just a final, you know, point on this Redford didn't see this movie in 2004. What? What? <laughs> never watched no, the movie it, into 2004, which no. I thought is hilarious, considering it came out like 30 years prior. But. <laughs> Crazy. It's like, it's like my sock summer never rewatching, uh, you know, our live streams. He never goes that back and listens, never goes back and watches. <laughs> it's perfect when he leaves. That's what he feels. Like. <laughs> <laughs> no, but if you guys haven't seen this thing, definitely check it out. It's, it's a great movie. But uh, let's get into our next one, gentlemen. Let me make one thing clear to you. I am not your father. You are not my friend. This is a business. You were only as good to me as the money you make. And right now, it's not worth a hell of a lot. You're going to give me back everything you lost. No, no, no. I can't do that. That money was for Harvard. I have made you so much more than what I just lost. It doesn't matter, Ben. You had very clear instructions, and you didn't follow them. You didn't do your job. You weren't counting. You were gambling. 2008's 21, directed by Robert Lukitic, who also directed Legally Blonde, The Killers, Monster Law, and The Ugly Truth. This movie stars Kevin Spacey, Lawrence Fishburne, Kate Bosworth, and Jim Sturgis. It had made $159 million with the box office, at the box office and a budget of $35 million. Swole, this is one of your picks. Tell us why. So, uh, first of all, I love this movie. The guy that wrote this movie, his name is Ben Mesrich. He also wrote a book called The Accidental Billionaires, which they turned into a movie that you may have heard of called The Social Network. Um, and he also wrote another movie called The Anti-Social Network, um, which is there is a About new MySpace? movie out. No, no. There's a new movie out right now with Paul Dano called Dumb Money about the GameStop stock, stock shortage. Um, he knows how to write stories like this. It's based on a true story of MIT kids that um, – took down, you know, these Vegas casinos, um, you know, and say what you want about Kevin Spacey. He's a fantastic actor and he acted his ass off in this. It's also got Lawrence Fishburne in it. And I love movies with Lawrence Fishburne. And I have ever since he was Furious Styles and Boys in the Hood. Um, Lawrence Fishburne <laughs> is one of my favorite actors. Um, I always thought that this movie came out around a time when Jim Sturgis was like the next big thing. He was in that Beatles movie across the universe. And then he did 21. Uh, Kate, what's her name? Kate, uh, uh, Kate Bosworth is, is his love interest in this. And she's uh, really, really good in this. And then there's a really, really, really young Josh Gad as like his nerdy MIT partner. Um, I love, I love card movies where, you know, they're, they're, they're counting cards and trying to take advantage of the system. I feel it's very much like this thing that we talk about on White Sox Twitter, where if you feel any empathy towards billionaire owners, then you're a fucking idiot, right? Like, I don't give a shit about these casinos. They took them for what they could. 
Lawrence Fishburne was trying to track him down. I just think this is a really, really fun, well-made movie. I actually watched it on my lunch today while I was at work um, to prep. And it's it's just a movie that I, that I, I really, really like. Yeah. Definitely. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad to jump in here. First, uh, let me jump on what Zvo said. Uh, yeah. Casinos are, are scumbags and you should take them for everything you can, especially back in the day, trees, the offshores. They would angle shoot the shit out of you to try to get money from you. So you always had to take uh, the best of it for yourself. Yeah. Tw- uh, 21's great. I like it. I, I like a lot of the blackjack lore and the, the stories. The the way it works. So for people that know uh, card counting, roughly card counting works is the composition of the deck changes as cards come out. And so it could become more favorable or less favorable for you. As it becomes more favorable, people bet more. Now, this is also how casinos catch you. So if you're sitting there yourself counting cards, you start raising your bets as the deck gets better. That's where they kind of have a a good eye on you. What they they use in in 21 and also in the, the MIT, the books about the team, is they use the big player method. What happens there is you have people on the table counting, as the deck gets favorable, you signal in someone else to come in and play. They start betting big bets off the top, so you never see the volatility in bets. That person's always a big player or big better. They come in there. They're the ones always handling the money. Now, that person who's betting big also has to play a character because if you're coming in betting five grand off the top, you can't look like you have a baseball cap on and you're some college kid. You have to have a role, especially if you're a young-looking person. you got to look like you're wealthy, affluent, etc. And so the the whole, like, m- making a whole cast of people to fill out a blackjack team is more than just understanding the count back and forth and understanding the mathematics. It's also about a show. Uh, it's also about understanding uh, where you're getting heat, where casinos are starting to notice you, etc. This movie kind of covers all that stuff. In a dramatic way, maybe probably a little more dramatic than necessary, but like big players existed since the 1970s, but they were able to bring it back in the 90s. And then obviously this movie's from 2008. So, um, you know, things go away and then they come back. But uh, I agree with Zvo. I love this movie and uh, Spacey's great. And he's an asshole in this movie, like such an asshole. But I mean, he is. Uh, he is, uh, but but like the head of like a gambling group sometimes is an asshole like that. And so like you, you, you kind of see that. Well, I think the quote that Yump used was perfect. He's like, you're not. You're not counting. You're gambling. You didn't do your job. That's right. Yeah. The only the only comment I have on this movie is I want to ask Larry Fishburne, how do you get fired on your day off? That's that's <laughs> the only thing I want to know. From him. Yeah. I mean, it's it's much worse than that in the movie, but it, it's it's yeah. He's he's not at the casino that that he's at when uh, when he gets in in trouble. That's the original or like the origin story of his his relationship with uh, with Spacey. But yeah, I think, I think I read that they were kind of pissed off at the casting of like Jim, Jim Sturgis and Kate Bosworth, because the group of kids that did it were six Asian kids. Um, so they kind of whitewashed this a little bit. But um, yeah, I don't know. Like, I, I think that like the, the cast in this movie w- was good. And I, I, I the controversy with Kevin Spacey alone in it is enough. So. Totally agree. Like, uh, really can't elaborate on what you guys said. Uh, the only thing I have with the soul is the, is the whitewashing of the cast because, you know, John Jawanda was a member of this team. Uh, Jeff Ma, who's actually uh, Jeff Sturgis's base character is based off. You know, I wish they would have did a little more closer to um, the origin of the team, which would have been better. But uh, it's overall, it's done very, very well. You know, Lawrence Fishburne is a complete, like, asshole as well. And just shows how at the end, you know, of the movie, how you know he can be dirty too. So yeah, you know, and it's it's a very and I remember like even growing up, like counting cards is always like, oh, you can count cards, and like everybody's like, oh, this is a legal way, and I'm always like, 
you think it's legal, but they're gonna fuck you up if you keep trying to count cards. Not, I mean, <laughs> well, yeah, you'll be kicked out. Like, you, even if they don't harass you, or, or even if they don't physically uh, bother you, you won't be allowed to play. They'll they'll find you playing, and they'll say no, you can't play, and they'll trespass you eventually, or not not allow you in. It's not illegal. It's just frowned upon, like masturbating on an airplane. Thanks <laughs> <laughs> a lot, Bin Laden. <laughs> I knew you were gonna bring that one, <laughs> but yeah, definitely. I, I like the uh, the art direction in the movie. I li- it's I think it's a perfectly told story. Just the casting was something that just threw me off. But- I like and I like the behind the scenes stuff of like the 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 eyes in the sky watching the tables for the different tips and the different tricks. And you get into it, and you know one of the other movies that were coming up, like he signals him, he's got a buzzer on his leg, right? Like it's just yeah. it's fucking cool, man. Like I, I, the I hammer. Think this is cool. Yeah, you want the money or the <laughs> hammer? Yeah. Like I I I I think this is a this is a good fun movie where like I, I just like I like gambling movies in general so and also it shows like the preparation they had to do to even get to the point of making money of yep. repetition repetition learning this learning theory learning a uh, best way to context which I thought was very interesting I I love that aspect when they add those things in there to show how they got as good as they were even though they were smart they still needed actually to train their thinking a certain way. Yeah, a lot wonder. of practice because because you're out in the field. It, everything's not as sterile as when when you're doing your your practice oh, at home. A lot of shit is going to be going on around you. So in order, right? To stay because focused, like it, if everything went the way it did in practice, Justin Fields would be the fucking MVP of the league right now, right? Like <laughs> it just you got to play that you got to play real life scenarios. Um, if you want to read books that are written like it's a movie script, check out Ben Mesrich's books like The Accidental Billionaires and um the the one about dumb money about the game stock shortage because they're easy reads but they're fun and they're good and he wrote this this script too so yeah they are i'll also say if you want if you if you want to look at it and go like oh counting cars that seems really really great way to to win at the casinos i would i would recommend you uh read up on like easy count car, uh card counting there's like a, a method that's like really simple and then go try and do that for like don't don't actually act on it and try and bet on it. Just try and keep count uh, at an actual casino and see how fucking difficult that is. It's impossible. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm gonna do it again, Yump. But Rain Man practically bankrupted the casino, and he was a retard. <laughs> a what? Retard? No, definitely. Uh, yeah, it's. It's a lot more work that goes into it than people think is really easy. And I do have friends that are like, oh, I'm, I'm like, yeah, yeah I'm no, not betting with yeah, you. No. <laughs> yeah, no. But, you know, definitely. I just like that aspect of the movie. But um, let's get into our next one, gentlemen. You tell him you're sure I've gone crazy, but I want to place 10 big ones on the Reds for the whole show. I'm laying bets for Rothstein. You're laying bets for me. A thief in judo or not, but he's just giving me a loan. Well, then what's left for the players? Jimmy, you know what you feed a dray horse in the morning if you want a day's work out of him? What? Just enough so he knows he's hungry. 1988's Eight Men Out, directed by John Sayles, who also directed plays um, Lone Star, Men with Guns, Limbo, Passion Fish. He actually plays Ring Lardiner in the movie due to his resemblance. And he directed a bunch of Bruce Springsteen videos like Glory Days, Born in the USA, I'm on Fire. Movie stars John Cusack, Michael Roker, Owen Mahoney, and David Starheen. It has a budget of $6 million and a box office of 5.6. So this is one of my picks. And the reason that I picked this movie is because it gives another different aspect on 
how gambling was at, well first it's out of, off a historic event and it gives an aspect of how gambling sometimes plays a role to the people who need the money that are actually professional athletes and in this case underpaid professional athletes in the 1919 White Sox and it just shows how their owner treated them like shit not giving bonuses giving them flat champagne not paying them what they were worth so they're like well fuck it we're gonna make money off of the bookies and I love the fact how it goes through how every, even though it's fictionalized how everything was set up with Arnold Rosting having his own crew and then you have um his lieutenant have his own crew with Sleepy Bill Burns. And in the end, the players are the ones that actually get screwed over because they don't really make the money off it. Everybody else makes money off it. Uh, it's one of those classic movies that I always liked. I love the fact Charlie Sheen's in it before he got into Major League. So it's like a precursor to him playing ball. I know how many people give him a lot of shit, but I think John Cusack does a great job as Buck Weaver. Uh, and it's a big Chicago-based movie. Uh, I always... Love the story about it. I always thought it was interesting. I always used to read about Buck Weaver and Joe Jackson and why they were kept out of baseball, which I think they should be really let in, especially with baseball doing betting now. Uh, you know, it's an aspect of the game that's there. The world's different. And the crazy thing about this movie is there's a rumor that the players actually got this idea from the 1918 Cubs when they lost against Boston. People claim they threw that game. And Swede, Swede was talking to a player on the Cubs on a train ride. He told him they threw it. And that's when him and um, Chick got the idea to maybe throw this from what they were talked about a year prior, which I think is crazy. I need that to ruin true. everything, man. I need Cubs that to be true <laughs> more than anything else. <laughs> well, it's crazy because the that was the last time the Cubs made the World Series until 2016. And I'm like, damn, they had to throw it. The same thing with the Sox. The Sox didn't make it to 2005, and they right. had to throw the. This is like well, what the wait, fuck are we 59. doing? They made it. In fi- they made it in 59. Did the White Sox win the World Series in 2005? I didn't realize. Yeah, that. They, they they made the World Series 1959 against the, the Dodgers. White Sox. So they, they they lost that one in there. Yeah, that's right. Well, it's still like six, still a 50 year gap, which is ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. yeah but, I mean, what do you guys think, Treezy? Oh, I think there's just so many great aspects to to this movie, and it and it, they do a good job of showing like how much people loved those players, right? The kids like following around Buck and stuff. And like, people just loved the baseball players. They were, they were stars. There was, if you, the way that they packed the crowds for the world series, like you might think back and go like baseball wasn't that big back then. That's why they weren't getting any money. No, those stadiums were packed for the world series. There was 30,000 people in those stadiums in the, in those times. And it's like, yeah, these guys are like, rock stars and they're getting paid like nothing just like just like they're not making any money this is bound to happen this is bound to happen this is what you see where you see this today is in like low level tennis matches where or or third league soccer like you see these kind of gambling things happen in those because the players they're they're kind of love of the game players they're they're or they're trying to come up in 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 the business and like Someone offers them a lot more than they make in a year, they're going to take it, right? You can't do that with the major leagues now. So it seems insane. But when you look back at it, when you're like, okay, they were packing it in the same way that they are now. And they were just going like, you don't get anything. This has to happen. Like this, this, this is the, the absolute result of, of something like that. And so like, I, I love that aspect of it. And they built that properly to show like these guys were loved. There were tons of people at the game. Everybody's talking about this everywhere. 
That's it's it's a huge media thing. And so I like that they did, were able to build that in the in the movie. Uh, I also, you know me, I'm a conspiracy theory guy. I love the people that say Joe Jackson was in on it. Joe Jackson's just so damn good that when they were down or they were like the game was already out of hand, then he'd start hitting. Then he'd start padding his stats so that it wouldn't look like he was in on it. That is a conspiracy theory that I absolutely love. Love it. Yeah, but for that to work, it means that he was like intelligent enough to do so. Like besides playing ball, going all the stuff that's put out about him is that he couldn't read or write. Like his life was baseball. So I don't, I, I don't like. I think he was there's, just. There's been tons of smart people throughout our throughout our world that couldn't read and write. That that's <laughs> true. Figure out, right. true, figure right. out all this shit. True. Uh, I do like in the movie how they tell him, like Sweet tells him, "Hey, they're telling you to." Uh, Take it easy. Don't, you know, don't, don't push so bad. Like they tell him, cause he, he takes the money, but they tell him, you know, just take it easy. You know, don't, don't, don't push too hard, which I thought was pretty interesting. And also the fact that he, he stares into a candle with each eye, which is fucking weird. He took the instruction well. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> what about you, Beef? Uh, first off, no, uh, no John Cusack slander because he's a big Beefalo fan. He follows me on Twitter. We, we're, we're mutual follows on Twitter. So I just want to <laughs> throw it out there for them. I love how huge the story is because, uh, you know, the, the Arnold Rothstein character in the, in the, in the Godfather, that's that time in Roth, right? I mean, that's supposed mm-hmm. to be, yeah. he's supposed yeah. to be the same guy, right? So he's kind of introducing uh, no. fixing games, fixing sports, right? He's, he's not supposed to be the same guy. He's he based says, off he him. Says, and, um, he says, he, but he mentions him. In My, the movie, because he says, yeah. "I okay, I've 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 loved." He says something like, "I've loved baseball ever oh, since." Uh, so he was in Rossi with him, basically. It, since Rossi okay, fixed it. the World Series in 1919. Yeah, he got he takes okay. a mixture from Lance. Lance he's mostly based off Lansky because his line, okay. uh, "We we uh like American Steel." He makes a line about American Steel, like yeah. um, but that's a Lansky. But he is has some influence from from uh, Rossi. Okay. Yeah, and I, I love uh, movies where they're fixing, but I, truth be told, I don't like the movies where they outright lose. I prefer like blue chips, where Tony just shaved some points. They still won the game, like that. Like that's the kind of that's the kind of fixing in the game I like, right there. Tony needed the money. He he, he didn't know what to do, so like he played terrible in that one game. And they go back and watch the tape, and it's like, oh yeah, he he played like shit. They should have won this game by twenty. They only won by eight, and that's the way they did. I like shaving in those instances, not so much throwing the entire thing. But I guess. Uh, you know, Treasy uh, brought it up. This is what brings these types of things. The inequities are going to bubble to the top. And actually, legal sports betting markets are the ones that find these things. All the point shaving scandals you've ever heard of are because some legal betting market saw ridiculous action going down on something you wouldn't think uh, too, you know, no one would bet on. And next thing you know, it's like, oh, okay, well, some shit is happening here. So everyone has to, you know, take a look and 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 drill down on the thing. So, like, I, I think, like, Keeping all these types of things underground is generally bad. And so this movie is another example showing that. Like, if you keep the underground underground, well, a lot of things can happen underneath there. If you kind of lift it up, uh, let it be legal and let everyone get an eyeball on it, you're less likely to run into those things. Beef, that's a that's a great point on the point shaving thing and the legal legal gambling market. Because if you ever watch the documentary on uh, the ASU point scandling, uh, point, uh, point scandal, the the... <laughs> the the problem that they had was this, these guys were laying off the money in regular casinos, right? They weren't they weren't going to like bookies or anything. They were laying it off at casinos. They got like a million in on on this team. The lines moving like crazy, and then 
there's like kids from ASU coming to Vegas and just like in in like their school gear, like the ASU gear, betting like 50 bucks on like the weirdest game of, of the year to be betting on and, and betting on the other team. You know, and like it's it's right. like, OK, something's going on. Something's going on. And that's that's actually how they went, uh, how they got busted. Did you guys ever see? Um, I don't know what year it came out, but it was a Ben Affleck, Justin Timberlake gambling movie called Runner Runner, where Ben Affleck's like this mm-hmm. Pittsburgh mafia guy that owns an offshore online gaming site. But his computer program cheats the players. And Justin Timberlake discovers it. It's terrible, but it's pretty fucking awesome. Like it's and it's it's kind of right up this alley. Um, as got far as in it. well, shut up, yum. Um, as far as this goes, beef, you will never hear me slander John Cusack. Um, I sat next to John Cusack in the Guaranteed Rate Club that night of the Game Three ALDS. Oh, nice. Hit his okay. homer. Um, yeah. and then as we're walking outside is when that confrontation happened with you know a certain member of of media. Um. And he was as uh, Cusack was as nice as could be, right? He was as nice yeah. as could be. But I love that argument. He was like, you know, I I played, I played a member of the White Sox in a movie. I could talk about them all I want, right? Like I like right. that <laughs> argument. I think it's good. But I think the cast of this movie is fucking fantastic. You have Frazier's dad in this movie. You have Charlie Sheen in this movie. DB Sweeney plays Shoeless Joe. Um, the uh, like just fucking good cast, good movie. This is a great movie. Yeah, and it has like uh one of the end the ending where they see Joe playing at uh you know a game ten uh, like a minor league game or not even a minor independent league game like 10, 15 years down the road. It's actually been parried a lot of times. I mean they actually parried it in fucking Married with Children with Al right. Bundy, which I thought was hilarious too. <laughs> um it's it's such an iconic movie and it just so it gives like it tells you the story the story of what happened back. Now, now there's other movies of 1990 black 1919 black socks that came out this is always gonna be my favorite because it's another move that it doesn't get the love it deserves i think i may be from white Sox fans but and movie nerds like myself but it's not a movie you really hear talk about when you hear about sports movies it's always easier, easier especially baseball movies it's always either major league or Moneyball. this is a movie that never gets brought up i also like that michael rooker's in it mr svenning from mall rats like <laughs> I, he's fucking awesome He's Henry, serial. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Good pull. Terezi, I am so happy you mentioned that because we, uh, <laughs> we and Brian asked for talking about this. Like, we were talking about there was a subject that came up with serial killers, and Brian asked his wife is really, really into, you know, uh, true crime. Like, disturbingly like, into it. Like, I told if her, Brian's dead, Henry. you know how it happened. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. I told her, watch Henry, and he's like, oh, I know about that movie. He was, we we're just going back and forth. The fact you brought that up is hilarious. That's oh, such man. a brutal movie. <laughs> me and me and Beef and a couple of our friends were at the we're at the Blockbuster, of course. You know, back back in the day, we're just yeah. like looking at, at uh, looking for something to rent for the night. And we're just like, what is this? Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer. Yeah, let's try this out. <laughs> and we were like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, total tough watch. Slight misstep for us. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. Like it's a tough watch, but it's a very good movie, but very tough watch, man. But very good. But uh let's get into our next one, gentlemen. Uh, I don't know whether you know this or not, but you only have your fucking casino because I made that possible. I'm what counts out here. Not your 
fucking country clubs or your fucking TV shows. And what the fuck are you doing on TV anyhow? You know, I get calls from back home every fucking day. They think you went batshit. 1995's Casino, directed by Martin Scorsese, starring Robert De Niro, Joe Pesci, Sharon Stone, and James Woods. It had a budget of $50 million and made $116 million at the box office. So, Beef, this is one of your picks. Tell us why. Absolutely. So, it's got many layers here. Number one, uh, Sam Ace Rothstein, played by Robert De Niro, comes up in the gambling business. This is how he becomes like the, the head of this story here. And really, it's about innovation. It's about understanding, how do I win a bet? How do I beat the bookies that are in place growing up in my hometown. And the way he does that is gathering information. He's just better at getting information on absolutely everything when he's trying to do sports betting. So that's layer number one. Now, number two, um, when he actually gets there and ends up at part of it, it's understanding his ego and playing to the other the elements that are outside of the actual gambling part. He's great at being the uh, straightforward casino, setting the games up, bringing sports betting inside the casino. What he's bad at is understanding his ego and understanding the other players that might uh, affect the game. And that being uh, County Commissioner Pat Webb, when his uh, his uh, nephew gets uh, a little bit messed up, he doesn't put his ego aside, give the guy some different job that's not gambling and, and squash that beef right away. He chooses to marry Ginger, who who tells him off the bat that she does not love him, but he plays against the odds. He doesn't use his analytical brain. He goes against that um, as well. And then finally, uh, against Nikki, the guy who's got his back, he goes over him. He, he he talks around him, tells people back home things about him. He sort of talks out of school. So he, instead of using his analytical brain to run the outside parts of what it takes to be a casino executive, he screws all that stuff up. And by the end, he ends up kind of uh, back in, in his original place. Uh, one thing uh, uh, Svo brought up earlier was uh, a method that they show in the movie and that Treasy mentioned when they catch the guys, they offer him the money or the hammer where they, they hammer the guy's hand. What that's called is spooking what they're doing in the movie there. And that is illegal in casino. So this is the, the you can look at a whole card if a dealer's showing you a whole card, if you're on the table, you can use any information that you get on the table. So if, it, if, a, if a dealer flips up a whole card or let's say a card is bent a little bit and you know what that card is, you can use that information if you're on the table. What you can't do is if you're somewhere else on some other table or off the table, Take information that you see on the table and signal to someone who is on the table to use it like that. That's not cool. So what they were doing there is they were using a, a, a leg implement to almost do like Morse code to tell the player what the next card coming was. Now, it's also not generally a good idea to, you know, beat the shit out of your players with a hammer and threaten their lives. Now, that was old school Vegas there. But again, that type of uh, casino action right there, that was illegal that, and players really shouldn't be doing that sort of thing. First of all, holy fuck, you are an absolute plethora of knowledge when it comes to gambling. And I am like, and I mean this with, with like, with all due respect to both of you, I am so fucking impressed right now. Like, like the terminology and like your knowledge, it's like, my God, it's like, it's, it's unreal. Like, I am so impressed. That's amazing. That's Quasimodo predicted all this. Exactly. I well, so, so I'll give you I give you one more with the with the whole card. If you ever see a dealer look at the whole card twice, they're holding a four. Because they, <laughs> yeah, that's right. You can read because the, they thought it might be an ace. So like they right. they have to look again. Okay, okay. <laughs> I, right. I, I, like, almost I, no one manually reads anymore, Tracy. But yeah, if you do find a manual reader, yeah. If, that's, you, that's, if you see a double look on the manual read, <laughs> you get those downtown still. 
Sometimes. I am so impressed with your knowledge of this stuff and the terminology and that you know this stuff. It's amazing. I think the other thing in Casino is there is a scene where uh, they're in the restaurant. I think, what was it called? The Leaning Tower? Like, it was Nikki's yeah. restaurant in the, in the thing. And he's like, he's like, don't make a fuck out of me. Tell me you gambled the money away and I'll give you more money to pay the light bill. Right? <laughs> and it, like, it's like, they don't dive into it too much, but it's like the, you know, the degenerative side of of gambling that they showcase just a little tiny bit that i love in this movie yeah and it's it's a real problem it's a real problem in the casino industry well and as someone that lived in vegas for two years right like it's a whole fucking thing you ever seen that video about the mole people in vegas that movie about the mole people in vegas like gambling degeneration is fucking real and i love that they touched on it and i just love pesci's like don't make a fuck out of me. <laughs> well, that's well, that's the blatant one. But the less blatant ones are uh, when he first gets to town, he realizes he can get the dealers under their thumbs. And he and then he has the one dealer he's talked to. Oh, don't worry, Nikki. I'll, I'll get it back to you soon or whatever. He realized a lot of those guys were big gamblers. They'd get off their shifts and they'd gamble and they needed extra money. He knew he could, get, he could run the juice on all them. And yep. then obviously Ginger. Ginger also was was someone who had uh, had problems in in that respect too. Now, when she was hustling, she could make money that way, but she also had the you know the, that degeneracy as well. Well, Lester, like uh, it just uh, I know we went to like a big deep dive with Sam because his is based off his uh a family member. Uh, he was um Lefty Ros- Rosenthal was his I think his great uncle, right? Or his, yeah, that's right. His, it's his great uncle. Yep. Um, but like the, the part of the movie the reason I like this movie a lot too, is it gives you the inner workings of the casino. Um, like you guys already touched on the subjects, how they handle cheats, how they handle the eye in the sky, how they handle, you know, like it's even with, uh, going back to the cheating aspect, how Robert De Niro says he hired most of the cheats to come work for him to point out when they can find out people are cheating. Um, how there was degenerate gamblers within their, uh, you know, their own ranks. You know, how they had like not getting past your ego and seeing your own, you know, your own mistakes with uh, the Ace Frosting character. How he fired Billy, uh, uh, the guy who does the damn driving movies. I can't think of his name right now. Joe Bob Briggs. Yeah, Joe Bob Briggs. <laughs> he fired him, you know, because he couldn't, he wasn't smart enough to be on the floor and spotting how slot machines are rigged. You know, that's another aspect yep. of Gamma that we, that we don't really get into because there's not really big movies about it, but that gives us like a, a little window into, hey, you know, the fucking rigging of the jack of the uh, slot machines was something big. Whether they kept inventing new tools and you know, way yep. using light, no, no, it's infrared. They had ways of getting rid of lights, and that's a, like a big money maker for those who actually do it. Um, which I thought was a nice touched on that. I know it's mostly a mob movie because of it's a base of how the mob ran the uh, the Stardust Casino, but it has like a lot of little nice little aspects of the gambling culture in there as well. And Ginger, like you touched on that beef, does a is another show that she can have vices and be a degenerate herself and how she runs everybody, you know, from the belief of the valet, she took care of everybody tipping them because she knew they would take care of her, you yeah. know, which I thought was pretty crazy as well. Another thing I found that really hilarious was, I don't know if you guys have seen on TikTok, but Kevin Pollack actually did a, a podcast and he, I think it was Rich Eisen's podcast and he's explaining, you know, he really enjoyed working in this movie with Robert De Niro, of course, you know, and Joe Pesci and Sharon Stone and James Woods. But he said Rickles cracked him up because Pollock's actually a comedian and Rickles, of course, is the insult king. He yep. said that De Niro would be doing his scenes like all serious, you know, everybody's around them. And Rickles would just be like, that's the way you're going to do it. 
So we're gonna do it this way. <laughs> so fuck with him. And he said he said De Niro will give him the side eye, like you know, the De Niro laugh, and like everybody would just start laughing. He goes, But yeah, Rickles didn't give a shit who you are. He just gave you shit no matter what. He goes, So it was always great working with him. I thought that was kind of a funny story he told. But yeah, the cast in here is phenomenal. And this is a I want to pivot to what I talked to you about earlier, Beef. You've mentioned this at a white size game, and I know we talked about it, where you believe Casino is a better movie to Goodfellas. Yeah. So why is that? I mean, some of it's the complexity of the story. So there's a lot more moving parts in this story than there is in Goodfellas. And also there's the rise and fall here, right? Like Henry Hill's story is interesting and he's a great storyteller, but he stays like a low-level guy and never becomes more than a low-level guy, right? That That's kind of like what it is. Like, so you get, you get the view of like, here's what a low-level guy in a mafia looks like. And it looks more kind of more realistic than maybe you've ever seen up to that point, you know, like. Oh, okay. Well, they're they're hustling around doing little bullshit or whatever to make their living. Whereas uh, the Ace Rothstein character came up as like just a random guy betting. He got noticed by the mafia. Then they start protecting him and helping him out and helping him get paid or whatever. He rises all the way up to where he's a casino executive and he's like the casino executive of the year in Las Vegas. Like he he sh- kind of shoots the moon, and then the stars get too bright for him, and he f- falls all the way back down. So it's like a like a true, like American story where you go up to the top. This is like, you know, everyone's always shifting levels in America. And this is like a, a, a cutout version of it where you can see, oh, there you go all the way up to the top. Here's all the things that led to the downfall. Boom. They're right kind of right back where they started in the beginning. I think he his title was food and beverage director. B. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's right. We even mentioned in the movie in Chicago, they were ramming out of town here. They're celebrating me which I thought was right. pretty crazy. Uh, I think, you know, more and more I thought about, I know we discussed it, like I think that Casino can actually be a better movie in terms of style and the way the story is told. I know Scorsese has said that this movie is a movie without any plot, but I disagree because it actually shows you the rise and fall of uh, Ace Rosting and the casino, how the mob had the casino business. Uh, I think the reason that Goodfellas is always put as number one is because it became before it. That's it's it's something that I would say nostalgia in terms of Goodfellas is one of those first movies that we had uh, the Godfathers we had Once Upon a Time in America but off the top of my head I can't think of another mob movie that went through a first person narration of a rat and that's what Goodfellas was and Scorsese shooting it the way he shot it is why it's so memorable in people's minds I think if this movie came prior this will be recognized as the better movie which I think in terms of story and um visuals it is also although i love lorraine morocco in the sopranos i think sharon stone is 10 times smoking than her <laughs> so, <laughs> so hand up. i totally agree like yeah. <laughs> top 10 movie starlet all time for me sharon stone for sure I, Yum, yum's not wrong there yum, i mean i <laughs> i think they the cool thing is is that joe pesci is fucking in unhinged in both of them um <laughs> like just absolutely unhinged in both of them i think that I think Casino feels bigger than Goodfellas because it takes place in Las Vegas, not, you know, in New York or whatever. Um, it's probably a better movie. The great thing about it is, is that you don't have to fucking choose. We have both masterpieces to watch whenever we want. <laughs> what about you, Treasy? What do you think? I think I'm I'm a Goodfellas guy. So and, and, and the, the reason <laughs> my guy, <laughs> the, the reason here is that it, and, and beef brought it up. And I think it's it's the it's one of the things that I really like about Casino, but one of the problems that it has is it's so complex and there's so many things to tie up 
in the third act that that third act's a little bit of a mess compared to to Goodfellas, where Goodfellas is a pretty streamlined story because you're you're really just focusing on Henry Hill. And this one, you're 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 how is the mob getting bounced out of here? What's happening with Ginger? What's going on with Ace? What's you know? There's Nikki's about to get his face bashed in. Like all all these different storylines, they all connect. But like it's tough to take that in like even though it's a three hour movie, but in that last hour of the movie and go like condense all this shit down and make it make it just work. Yeah, it's it's difficult. I mean, if if they would have made honestly, if they would have made this a four hour movie like The Irishman, it it might get there. Like it might actually to to me be on the on the same page. Um, but it's tough. It's I mean, I love both movies. Yeah, I just watched this on a plane, which is hilarious because sitting in the middle seat while you're watching. This movie of all movies is uh, is is interesting viewing for your your seating partners. Yeah, how do you how do you explain it to your neighbor that you don't know when when Nikki forces Sharon Stone's head to go down on him? Like it's just a little bit of an awkward watching in the middle seat. <laughs> you just nudge you him know? and point at the screen like, yeah, but yeah, yeah, this guy, right? <laughs> Look at this. I was I was sitting next to Lauren Bobert, so it worked out. Oh, <laughs> how dare you? That's hilarious. Awesome. Oh awesome. my god! No, but thanks, B, for like bringing that, like mentioning your reasons. And I like you yeah. totally said there's going to be, you know, we both, we have both movies. I just yeah. have a preference towards this one now more, more thinking about it and going through it, like beef. I'm kind of on this one, but like Teresa, you're with the classic and I totally get your reasoning behind it too, but they're do, they're both perfectly great movies and they're done differently, which I think is shows Scorsese's vision in terms of how he does movies. Um, I just think like they're both perfectly done and you can like either, or I'm just more on the other side. So I got I got one more question. I know we got one more movie to get to, and I want to get you guys in bed for work or whatever tomorrow. But we've talked about two different Scorsese's Scorsese movies tonight. We talked about The Color of Money. We talked about Casino. Um, October twentieth, we're getting what people are saying is Scorsese's final movie, uh, Killers of the Flower Moon. Is that what it's called? Yump, right? Yep. Yeah, that's what it's called. Um, and they say it's like a three hour and twenty movie with Leonardo DiCaprio, Robert De Niro, massive cast. Have you guys seen previews for it? Uh, have you read the book? Are you interested nope. in it? I'm, I haven't heard of it at all. Okay, yeah, I'm going to send you the, link to the preview, and I, I would ju- I just want to hear what you think, and not on not on the show or whatever. But I'm, I'm as guys that love Scorsese movies, um, I want to hear what you guys think because it looks it looks fantastic. Heck yeah, yeah it's based off a uh, it's based off indigenous like investigation on indigenous yeah. land. Um, actually, my brother who works at the University of Oklahoma, one of his good friends there, Sunrise uh, Takate. He's uh, actually, he did lights for the movie with Scorsese. He's indigenous. Okay. He did lights with them. He said that like, it's really good. Uh, he also said Martin's actually a very nice man, which I thought was pretty funny. That is but, pretty, um, pretty funny. But yeah, I, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. I want to see how he, his twist on things, because it's something different. We know Scorsese more for mob movies, like, uh, or crime. And this is kind of has a crime aspect to it, but it's yeah. like, totally, it's a more cultural thing it to it. It feels like the trailer feels like there will be blood. If that helps mm-hmm. at all, that's what the trailer okay. feels like. I digress. I'm sorry. I know we got no, no. we get off we get off topic a little bit here. <laughs> no, but uh, let's get into our final movie, gentlemen. It's just like the saying says, you know, in the poker game of life, women are the rake. They are the fucking rake. The fuck are you talking about? What what saying? I don't know. You know. There ought to be one. 
1998's Rounders, directed by John Dahl, who also directed Red Rock West, Kill Me Again, and Last Seduction. The movie stars Matt Damon, Edward Norton, John Malkovich, Todd Tutorial, Martin Landau, and Gretchen Mull. It had a budget of $12 million and made a box office of $22 million. So gentlemen, when we were discussing doing this pod, this is a movie that me and Swole, and I know you guys agreed, automatically put to the side because this is going to be on all of our lists. Yeah. Uh, yeah. This movie, I think, is perfectly done on showing the underbelly of the poker world and behind the scenes of how it was making money on the site. Poker was always known from the World Series of Poker. We had on TV and whatnot. But this is actually like a pulling the curtain back and looking about how people grind to make money. And it's something that always, to me, like inspired me. I saw this movie when I was 14 years old. So in 99 after it came out, I rent, we rented it from Masterpiece Video. I'll never forget. And I remember watching it and was so intrigued with it that the aspects of like, I know Mike, Mike Derman uh, talks about how he tells of people. And I'm like, that's kind of like body language to anything that you do. And he kind of shows how people can give their give away what they're doing. And then like, well, that's like an aspect that's used in a lot just in the gambling world, but in real world too, in terms of, you know, if you're a police officer or whatever you're doing, uh, a job interview, stuff like that. Like you bring body language and this guy's making money off it. I love the characters in the movie. I love, I think Edward Norton is fucking phenomenal as Worm. I love the soundtrack. I actually own the uh, soundtrack on CD of the other, yes. like the movie soundtrack. I think it's great. It's one of my favorite movies. And I think this is a movie that kind of like gave a little bump to the poker world, which I, which Chris Moneymaker made explode when he won the World Series of Poker. But I think this is a got the ball rolling and then it just exploded into. What happened after 2002, uh, 2003's World Series? Uh, what do you think, uh, Beef? Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, they, this was the like the ramp up for it, and then when when the explosion happened in tournament poker, which is different than what they're playing in this movie. Like, let's let's bifurcate the two. Mm-hmm. Tournament poker is a collection of people; they all put their money in, and then there's a prize structure. What they're playing in this movie is cash game poker. So this is people bringing their money to the game. They may have a set buy-in or set limits of bets or whatever, and then they go ahead and play. And everyone plays until while well, you either choose a time that you're not going to play anymore. You got to leave or until you got no more money. I mean, that that's kind of uh, basically the the situation there, but I agree with you. It kind of ramped up and it's funny. The opening scene teaches you one of the biggest gambling mistakes you could possibly make, especially if you're someone who gambles for profit is not to overbet your bankroll in no way, shape or form. Should you have your entire fucking bankroll on the table at any point in time? Now there is the idea of like taking shots. So Mike McDee in this, he put 30 grand on the table to play in that uh, that no limit holdem match which was four-handed ended up being uh I, th- I think when he got busted it was only three-handed or whatever but you're a guy like that with 30 grand who's normally playing 10 20 or 20 40 limit games you probably should take 5 grand or something or 10 grand to maybe and take a shot at it and that's really how it would work in in poker and gambling in this instance to make it more dramatic he put his whole uh bankroll on the table, flushed the shit out of it, and then had nothing left. And that kind of, that builds the story for you. But like, it's like the number one, and he, and he, he says it, you know, he broke the cardinal fucking rule. Always leave yourself out. And he didn't leave himself out by having his entire bankroll on the table. Definitely. Uh, Treasy? Yeah, I mean, I love Ed Norton in this movie. He's just, he's, he's incredible. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, Worm is, Worm is more like every gambler that you've ever met. Uh, than than anyone else in in this movie, uh, he's 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 a fantastic piece of this movie. But I think the guy who who doesn't get enough credit in this movie is John Turturro, because John Turturro is like the guy who 
does it for a living. And like they they make fun of it to to a point where, you know, where oh, you're grinding it out on your leather ass. And, you know, he comes back. He's like, I'm making a living. I'm paying for my kids. I'm paying for for this. Yeah, I pay rent. Like, I, I do got all these alimony. Things. I got yeah, child yeah. support. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, he's well, I he, mean, like he, even, he even tells Mike, he tells Mike, you know, you know, maybe that's a game you can beat, but you know, you can beat the 1020 at the Chesterfield and the 2040 at the Goulash joint. Yeah, they've already got his he's helped him pick up all these beats, these places where you can go get a game. You It'll be friendly. You can get in there and can actually win some money. And, you know, you can beat that game and just sort of like treating it as a profession. Treasy, sorry to cut you off, but I wanted to add on there. Go ahead. No, no, no. It's great. And you, and you could see the difference between like the kind of the the older doing it as a career guy. And the young guys getting a charge out of going and playing against the guys uh, smoking cigars and and then, uh, you know, catching them with the wheel. Right. I mean, like that's that's the that's a good interplay of like this. This guy does this thing and these guys are are young and they're excited for this and they're adrenaline junkies. Um, and I, I like that they show both of those types of gamblers in this because I think that throughout all these movies that we've talked about, there's there's that element of like a guy who knows what he's doing and a guy who's who's doing this for a living, and then people that are just like in it for the thrill of the game. Definitely. Well, so I am going to talk about this movie from a fucking completely different perspective. One, because I don't have the vernacular or the knowledge of gambling that Cherizi and Beef do. But I want to talk about it from how I, I absolutely love this movie, but it fucking pisses me off uh, for one reason. And that reason is Ed Norton. And I know that Brian put Ed Norton is incredible in everything he's ever been in, one of the finest actors on the planet. And I absolutely fucking 100% agree with that. Ed Norton had a run um, of The People versus Larry Flint, Rounders, American History X, Fight Club, The Score. An underrated movie called Death to Smoochie, right? Fucking hilarious movie. Um, the 25th Hour, The Italian Job. And now this dude, who is one of the most talented fucking actors on the planet, probably since Marlon Brando, Robert De Niro, all he does is make fucking artsy Wes Anderson movies now. And it drives me fucking <laughs> crazy. It drives me crazy. I love Wes Anderson movies. Like, I think Wes Anderson makes great movies. I went on a date with my wife to see Asteroid City. I like Wes Anderson movies. But this dude is a fucking badass. He was a badass in the 25th hour. He was fucking insane in American History X. Fight Club is a movie that I have watched a million times. And now he just does fucking artsy Wes Anderson movies. And it drives me fucking crazy. This movie is perfect. Matt Damon is great. Turturro's great. John Malkovich, we haven't even mentioned him once, um, is fucking absolutely fantastic in this movie. Yeah. Martin Landau as the judge is awesome oh, man. in this movie. Yeah. Yes, great um, call. But Ed Norton doesn't make fucking movies like this anymore. And I don't want him to make the same movie over and over again because 25th Hour is different than Fight Club and it's different than American History X. But I don't want to see him in a fucking theater in Asteroid City or playing some fucking French painter in the French dispatch. <laughs> it drives me fucking crazy. That's my rant. I'm sorry. I love it. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's beautiful. <laughs> you know, it's interesting, the Ed Norton character and Treasy, how much you love him. You know, the Ed Norton character and, and the Matt Damon character are showing you two different ways to win. 
in the gambling world, right? Edward Norton's character is doing it in a little more slimy, uh, disrespectful way, if you will, underhanded way. But he also understands all these different angles, right? He he is aware of the things that are going on around him, and he's not just trying to be the straight-up poker player, which Edward Norton is. And in some respects, I assume that, like, I, I mean, which Matt Damon is, Matt Damon's character is, and in some ways I assume the Edward Norton character probably uh, makes a living longer, knowing uh, what all of what he knows about every single angle in, in these games. That's actually a different, uh, pretty interesting, uh, you know, insight there, Beef. I don't know if he lives, makes it longer because he's actually, fu- if he would have stopped doing what he was doing, they, I think they would have came up with the money at the end at the cop, the, the sheriff's game, because he kind of fucked him. He did. Even in that, in that tells, instance, he did. Yeah. Yeah. Mike tells him, well, how about you? I'll leave and you go play eight hours straight. And he's like, no, no, no. But if he didn't come, I think they make their money. Like, of course, for dramatic effect, he fucks them over and he leaves. But <laughs> like, I just think he's a person that has so many impulses. He can't, you know, he just can't get the better of himself. Like, it's just he fucks himself yeah. over in the end. Because even when he makes the money previously from, you know, uh, set the deck and whatnot at the uh, Chesterfield, he then goes to a mitt joint. <laughs> which, he shits it away playing blackjack yeah, or whatever the fuck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. And he yep. tries to, he's like, oh, I thought I could neutralize it with my skill. He's like, no, you can't. <laughs> like, he's his own worst enemy. But yep. that's oh. the great aspect of his character. He's just, he's a degenerate gambler, but he's his friend. So he has to be, you know, he's loyalty towards him. And of course, when he stuck up for him at, at the, uh, when he was a kid. Oh, one of my favorite scenes is Ed Norton barefoot in his like elementary school gymnasium hiding out from everybody. <laughs> like he's just, he's that big of a fucking degenerate that he's got to go hang out there. And Matt nope. Damon's character knew exactly where to go look for him at. And it's just, it's fucking, it was hilarious. But yeah. to, to, to Beast's point though, he's, he's like, this is what we do. Yeah. This is how we do right. it. It like, even he goes to prison and he figures it out in there. Right. Like after he gets into prison for a little while and then he's like, oh, I got this whole thing clocked. It's 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 all it's all a game. He knew he's got to win a certain amount from this group and lose a certain amount to the uh, to the guards guards. and all this stuff. Yeah, he understood how the bigger game worked from from that aspect. And I agree with you. He he getting the best of himself, but he's also he also could be a road show. Right. And when when they get messed up, he's like, it's road time. Let's go. And you could apply those trades everywhere. But yeah, like. Mike didn't want to do that. Mike McDee is like, no, I'm not doing this. I'm going to do this straight up. But a lot of guys would do that. They would hit the road. But I love the, the like the last time they see each other, he goes, hey, at least you're rounding again. And it's just like, it's just like this fucking awesome scene. You're going to thank me for that, he says. Yeah. Yeah, I think I was asking. Yeah. Uh, one aspect I did touch on beef was that, you know, in this movie specifically, tells is a big thing, you know, with the K- Teddy KGB with the cookie in his mouth. And, yep. you know, Play. I eventually got into you know playing cards, poker. You know, I was a part of backdoor games. Uh, you know, in behind, and then eventually going to casinos. And it's not all that. You also have to play numbers as well, as in my opinion. But for sure, Gene Gene Siskel, who was a, actually a huge card player and poker player, loved this movie. But that was the aspect he said was not as believable. Was the fact right. that they were it was all of the tells. Yeah. What do you what do you think about that? Yeah, I'd agree. I mean, like, that's the biggest bullshit tell of all time, right? As, as the fucking Oreos and that's, uh, but it, it, the reason why they do it so blatantly is to highlight it for you so that you kind of know they do it a little bit in the Atlantic city casino where they talk about ticks and stuff. Mm-hmm. And the other thing, the thing that they, they don't tell you though, is that like tells aren't foolproof tells might be uh, pushing you in a direction where you think, okay, this might move the probabilities a little bit because now I think they have a stronger hand or weaker hand, or they may be playing a draw here in this situation. 
it might move the probabilities enough for you to make a bet or to call or, or to fold a hand just based on the situation. But you're never going to get a uh, folding top two pair face up because you know you're like you're never laying you're never laying down a monster like uh, like Mike McDee does in that hand there. So, yeah, I agree. That part is a little far fetched, but I'm glad they did it in a way that was so blatant that the audience could understand even if they're not poker players. I just a couple final things. Like I said, this was Cisco's favorite gambling movie. Uh, Howard Stern came out and said that some of the story was based off Norm MacDonald. I don't know how true that is because Howard Stern's fucking out there, so he could just be making shit up. Uh, I love the fact that Edward Norton's character was supposed to smoke, and he's like, fuck that. My character's going to hate smoking, which is why he throws out the cigarettes in the beginning of the movie, which I thought was hilarious. After he wins them from the guys. Yeah, he tosses them. That's right. And my favorite story from this movie being made is Matt Damon tells it that the day John Malkovich came to the set, everybody was fucking like, oh, Malkovich is here. Malkovich is here. Kissing his ass, right? Malkovich comes down, sits down for his Teddy KGB character. And he's like, if you don't give me the money. And it's like ridiculous accent. <laughs> and he's like, Matt Damon's like, everybody around him's like, that was fucking great. And he leans over to Matt Damon and he goes, I'm a terrible actor. <laughs> <laughs> Which just shows like just how down the earth Mount John Malkovich is. Like everybody knows KGB, his character. I, I, like I said, this movie is just perfectly done in terms of characters and development, and that's why it's like one of my favorites of all time. But with that, gentlemen, thank you. I know we ran long today. We <laughs> ran long. <laughs> yes, like that's our fault. It's always our no, fault. No, no, no. Come on, someone's we always make it long. That's our fault. I think I can speak for Yump here, and Yump can add his two cents in here real quick. I have learned so much tonight from you guys and had such a good blast, like such a blast talking gambling movies. I feel like Yump and I owe you guys dinner, like mm-hmm. just for coming on. That was fucking fantastic. Like <laughs> I, I learned Thank so you. much from you guys. You bring such good like energy to a show. I appreciate you so much, man. Yeah, just to go off with Swole, so you know, um, I'll and- give you a topless hug later. <laughs> okay. Oh, <laughs> uh, I look forward to me first before Cherise. <laughs> ah, damn it. No, but um. <laughs> You know, Beef and Cherise, like you guys, like when we started doing this, you guys were one of the first people to give us feedback. You know, Beef, I constantly go back and forth with you about getting the show better. You as well, Cherise, you know, you know what you guys have done for us, we greatly appreciate. You guys are one of our first guests coming on. You know, Beef, you're actually our first big guest we had, you know, and then we let, then we went to Richard Roper and you, you still overshadowed <laughs> A little bit him. bigger than me, but that's okay. <laughs> but, you know, we thank you guys so much for your support and everything throughout, you know, the past two years you've been doing this. Like, I love Beef, your show. So, you know, the Jew, I love crazy uh, South Side view, point of view. And like I try, right, the 108 show I try to catch on Thursdays. Unfortunately, I have school right now, so I really can't catch it live, but I do catch it on the reruns. But, you know, you guys Beautiful. are awesome in what you do. And, you know, we just pick, I like to love to pick your brain and just get, try to get better at what we're doing. Um, so greatly appreciate you guys for coming on. Oh, thanks. So, thanks so much for having us. Yeah, thanks for um, the kind words. That's that's wonderful, and and we have a lot of fun coming on here. You know, don't uh, don't thank us too much. We're enjoying the <laughs> shit out of coming on here and talking some smack with you guys. Um, but do you guys want to plug your uh, your socials and your shows, please? Teresa, you go ahead. Yeah, so obviously uh, from the one hundred eight dot com is is where kind of everything is. Uh, you can find us on Twitter or like any social uh, social media at at from the one hundred eight. Uh, on YouTube, especially, that's where we do a lot of our live stuff. And uh, it, and if you do like the gambling stuff, we've done a few long form uh, gambling shows with uh, our buddy Sam over at Chicken Dinner. So 
that's a different podcast, but uh, you can find our episodes there too. I think if, if this was something that you're like, Ooh, I'd like to hear more about that. Stuff. More gambling, so, right? Yeah. Cool. Thank you guys so much for coming on guys. You guys have a great night. You too. Thank, Thank you. you boys. Thanks guys. Always a fun time having the drunk uncles on man. Always wow. a fun time. <laughs> I did not realize that beef and Sharizi knew so much shit about gambling. Like I knew they were into gambling, but like they're talking about terminology. They're talking about like different, like, like ways to not that they do it, but like how different people cheat in gambling. Those guys know their shit. Holy cow. Yeah, definitely. Like that's another reason why when we were talking about doing this show, so I'm like, they would be perfect for like this type of atmosphere because they're so knowledgeable on everything. Yeah. Like in terms of gambling, like I like hearing beef talking, them talk about the games is like a masterclass and they're like, it's just awesome to have them come on here. And like, it, you, you saw like how much they know, like about the cheats, name of the cheats, the way that, you know, running the marks, the just aspects of uh, analytical things in terms of sports gambling. It, it's just a wealth of knowledge. You know, I could listen to them forever. Talk about it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I was just, I just tweeted in that trailer for uh, Killers of the Flower Moon. I want to hear what they think. Nice. So, so we still have a little bit of show left, but let's call it audible because the show's a little long and just go over one topic for news and rumors today. Yeah, I think it's a big one too, man. I think, uh, I think the, the, a tentative deal is in place for the writer strike to end. Um, I think they're going to vote on it tomorrow and we will get some of these writers and, and people back to work. Which is very good news because they, this is the first time they both strike. I think since the 60s. Yeah. Uh, both the writers and the actors. And the actors and writers need to get paid what they're worth. These big studios are making too much money off them. And hopefully it's favorable and we can start seeing, you know, people get paid what they need to get paid to live. And we see, see good content being made again. I agree. I think that I think we can like we, we talked a lot about a lot of different movies tonight. I think none of those movies would have been made without great writers um, in the in the room. Uh, reworking these scripts. So I think I think that's a great cap on news and rumors for the night, don't you, Yum? Yep, totally. Uh, so we're going to get to our next thing of coming soon. I was going to play a video from 31 Days of Horror, but I'm going to skip that because it's 30 seconds and we don't need to go through the 30 seconds of it. But 31 Days of Horror is back. Uh, the first video will be released on October 1st, and then each day a new video will be released reviewing a new horror movie that I did not review last year. And this all ties into what's going to come in next month because October is the month of Halloween. Both me and Swole are huge horror movie fans as we've seen in our previous reviews that we have done. And we're going to give you a show basically of some horror movies that maybe you have not known. They're not so mainstream, but are very good to check out. Yeah, very, very excited about that. Some underrated stuff. Um, and then, you know, Yump and I are going to go every two weeks because I'm doing... Um, I'm doing uh, weekly stuff with uh, with Luke on the college football. So Yump and I are going to go every two weeks. That gives Yump time to study and do his reset and uh, do his research because he does a lot of fucking research for these shows. Um, but yeah, we're gonna do uh, we're gonna do our underrated horror movies. We got 31 Days of Horror, and then at the end of October, we're going to do our annual. Um, deep dive onto a horror movie franchise and this year it's going to be friday the 13th um so i'm very very excited jack thanks for tuning in thank you jack yeah i'm really looking forward to that um i really appreciate that kind of break that we have between two shows uh, the show right now because uh on top of doing the research and doing 
uh, 31 Days of Horror. I, I do have some in the can, but I have to finish some of them out due to me being sick. I couldn't finish them. Uh, it gives me time to reset, and I really appreciate that. Um, so Martial Arts Gems is going to be on a hold. Uh, Wayback Playback will be on hold. Once October is done, then we'll get into the full swing of things of having them come back out. So just a heads up there, guys. Plenty of content from the Sadistic Penguin Studios, though. Um, I'm going to be on tomorrow at 7 with Luke doing the top 25 recap in college football. We got Horror Movie Drafty Pod coming October 24th uh, with Brian on on uh, It's Getting Drafty Pod. Uh, we have articles that are coming all the time, uh, all the, coming out all the time from uh, Roxy and uh, Marge guest wrote. And then don't forget, we have the hookup on music mm-hmm. uh, with our boy Tony, who is every Wednesday. Out, every Wednesday is putting out fantastic content. And that's kind of my closing thought for the night: is just tune into Sadistic Penguin Studios, um, and we're gonna have stuff for you all fucking October. Yes, and, and uh, Simpsons draft on Tuesday. Getting drafty in here. Simpsons draft, drafty pod, Tuesday. Um, who does he have on for that, Yump? Do you know? It's going to be myself, uh, Jackie, Zombie Jackie, HBIC from the Chicago Sports Bums, uh, Matthew Banna, and Jordan Palmer. Okay. Um, so my picture for the final thought is me and my Florida Panthers hockey jersey. You think we could get Brian to do a hockey jersey draft? Yeah. <laughs> you guys are the draft kings of the jerseys. I'm not a big fashion of jersey stuff, but yeah, I mean, that'd I'm be a, a good one too. I'm a massive hockey jersey fan. I, yeah, talking about gambling, I'm going to wrap this up here in two minutes. But points bet had Tyrone a promo. Palmer, I'm sorry. Uh, points bet had a promo where if you deposited 50 bucks, um, they give you a free $150 coupon to get a jersey on Fanatics. So I got like fucking 10 jerseys. <laughs> nice. I created an account. My mom created an account. Everyone created an account for me, and I got like 10 hockey jerseys. Nice. But just tune in to Sadistic Penguin Studios. We're having a blast. We're always putting out content. And uh, if you're buying an iPhone at the Oakbrook Apple Store, back up your shit and know your Apple ID password. Other than that, I'm out. Thank you for listening to Yumper and Small, a Sadistic Penguin Studios production. You're still here? It's over. Go home. Go. Go.